Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about when you get bored with canning. Canon. Canon. When you get bored with it, what do you do? Um, and for fan fiction writers who don't have any interest in writing um, original works, uh, this can become a real issue. Especially if you have just a small number of fandoms that you like and you get stupid bored. What do you do? Do you go binge watch three years of 911? Maybe you do because because you need a new fandom. But what if you don't want to go binge a whole TV show so you can get a new fandom? What do you do? What do you do? It, this is, I think, when you start exploring um, big AU circumstances, alternate universes. When you start um, looking at... Uh, Plot elements that you wouldn't normally look at, like physical time travel, when you said you'd never do it. Because um, I did. I said I would never do it. Uh, this is when you start zero drafting a Mass Effect fic in the middle of the night. I mean, you know, shit like that. You never know. So what do you do? I, mean, I think there's a couple of... I think there's a couple of different times that you can run into the, what do I do when I'm tired of canon? Or maybe you never liked canon. Um, one is you're bored with canon that you've, you've explored everything you want to explore that's related to canon, which what's left is AUs or alternate settings or fusions or whatever. And the other is maybe you were always bored with canon. Like you all never were interested in writing in that canon, but you find the characters interesting or a character interesting. And, um, and then what? And then what? Then Tony Dinozo goes to Atlantis. <laughs> That's right. Um, or you just never... I mean, some, some fandoms... Not every fandom has a fandom bicycle, but some fandoms do. And I think that's the, like, everybody wants to ride them, or you can ride them anywhere. Uh, you can kind of take them into other fandoms with ease. Not Like I said, not every fandom has a character you can easily take out and pop in another fandom, and it works well without being clunky. Um, but some characters come across, I think, better than others for that. So we could talk a little bit about AUs, fusions, um, alternate settings. Is that type of, that's type of AU. Uh, Crossovers. I think one of the more interesting ways you can infuse uh, vitality into your fandom is crossovers. One of my favorite works in progress is actually um, a fic. It's a Harry Potter fic and I put it up on EAD last year. It's available now on EAD where Harry is the head head R or and Hermione's the head unspeakable and they both obviously work in the ministry and there is a ritual murder happening in um, the non-magical world and I'm crossing it over with Wire in the Blood and so near the end of my excerpt uh, Harry goes to Bradford CID and has a conversation with um, Alex Fielding and uh, Tony Hill. And Tony Hill is actually a really interesting character to kind of insert into your narrative because he's very polarizing. Um, so when you can find a character like that, that can just kind of challenge your characters and challenge your idea of how a story and a scene can be structured, it's really interesting. Um, and thank you guys who have read it and commented on it. I really appreciated it. Um, it really, Wire in the Blood, um, there are a lot of British shows you can kind of push into the Harry Potter canon. And Wire in the Blood is one of them. If you have Harry working in the um, DMLE. Wire in the Blood, however, is not for the faint of heart. I'm just... I, I would, yeah. I, Wire in the Blood, it's usually streaming somewhere. You could probably find it. Um, it is... 
you know how like there's American it's, TV and then there's British TV and it's usually like a notch or two up. So wire in the blood is like criminal minds on crack. And I mean crack cocaine. Not not ha 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 crack. She means she, it, it's it's criminal minds doubled down. Um yeah, it's no, um, no. Dexter was cracky, kind of cracky in my opinion. No, um, yeah, no. A wire in the blood is psychologically disturbing. And sometimes visually disturbing too. Yeah. It, it it's in ways that criminal minds never never went. And that's in their first episode. They t- they went on something in their first case that so horrified me that I I still can't I, like I still can't scrub that out of my head. I mean, Wire in the Blood is fascinating and it's um it's based on a book series and um it is it's compelling, it's well it's well written, the characters are very interesting. Um it's filmed in a very dramatic way. Um, but having watched Hannibal and Wire in the Blood, I will say I've never had nightmares about Hannibal. Never. <laughs> Hannibal feels fantastical, which is why it, I, I think my brain doesn't take it seriously. Wire in the Blood. I would feels not like say that Wire in the, the Blood is horror, but it's closer to horror than it is suspense. It's kind of like riding the line in between them. Um, it's graphic. Because British TV is. They don't care to show you nudity or whatever. Or dead bodies or anything like that. So. Um, but I would also say. Uh, I've not watched The Alienist. But I want to. Yeah. Why are the Bloods very gritty? But excellent. I've watched the whole series. And I've watched the movies. And I honestly. It's one of my favorite shows. But it is something. And I've read three of the books. I read them a long time ago. And did not finish them because I found out that the series doesn't end well. Um, but that isn't the case with the TV show. So it's, uh, yeah. Another really it, good psychological kind of thriller show that I found really good was, um, it's got Kenneth Brogna in it. It's um, um, <laughs> Wallander. I really enjoyed that. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say that you've got... Uh, when it comes to if you want to watch Wire in the Blood, just prepare yourself. Watch it in the morning. Um, if you can't, if you really struggle with the first episode, you don't know. I don't. I don't know that I'd recommend going further. Right. Yeah. Because the first episode definitely sets the tone. It doesn't really get lighter. No. Ever. So. Um, but yeah, I would definitely not watch it at night, and I definitely would not. I would definitely give myself room for a palate cleanser. I mean, like a, watch the first. Which would be a funnier pun if she was talking about Hannibal. Watch, watch the first episode of, of Wire in the Blood. And then go over to YouTube and watch some idiot for three hours do something. I mean, just seriously. I mean, you know. Well, whatever or go service, watch Disney Plus. Whatever service you've got that's streaming um, Wire in the Blood is probably also streaming Murdoch Mysteries. So Murdoch Mysteries can be a, uh, a palate cleanser for... Um, I would love to do a crossover with Murdoch Mysteries because it's so charming. Yeah. It's just charming. He's riding his little bicycle around solving crime. It's adorable. And Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries is also a cute one. Um, but anyway, those are those are some that can kind of... Yeah, I think you definitely need Baby Goats and PJ if you watch um, the first episode of Rawr in the Blood. Um, but it might not strike you the same way. I mean, you know, we're all different. We're all wired different mentally. But it did. I was like, whoa. And then I watched some more. Yeah, Murak is the Canadian show. Yeah. 
Murdoch is a Canadian show, but it usually streams on Acorn, which is the service that streams all the British TV. I do enjoy Acorn. I think. Um, so, okay, Wallander and Wire in the Blood are on Amazon Prime right now. Um, when I watched Wire in the Blood, I watched it on Hulu years ago, like when Hulu was first getting started. Yeah, I think I saw it on Hulu, too. But I think I only saw the first season because I just got to the point that I couldn't deal with it anymore. I mean, there are times that Criminal Minds really fucks me up. And I like there's some episodes of Criminal Minds that really stick in my brain. Um, even years later, like I will never forget the pig farm. Um, the dolls and the marionettes, both of those episodes really messed with my head. Dude, Mr. Scratch. Mr. Scratch. Um, the cannibal one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the mayor. I think the the pit, basically for me, the, if Matthew directed it, <laughs> if Matthew directed it, you should just not watch it. I mean that that man is messed up. <laughs> it's like he went through each season and figured out the creepiest one he could find. I'll, th this one's mine. I'm like okay, Matthew, you little creeper. <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, the absolute two worst for me were the pig farm, the the, the double, the two to hell and back, were which was a two parter, which is the pig farm episodes. And then um, the marionettes. The marionettes bothered me more than the dolls. The dolls would be third place, and then the, and then Mr. Scratch, and then fifth would be the, the the guy who made the soup for the, all the the searchers. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, that fucker. So there's some episodes, and this I haven't watched Criminal Minds in forever, and these episodes stick in my brain, and Wire in the Blood sticks in my brain the same way. And in, in not in a good way. In kind of a, do I need to get therapy around the fact that I've watched this TV show? So take care of yourself. But anyway, the point is, is that this is a way that you can kind of invigorate a fandom if you want to stay closer to canon. If you're not comfortable, if you're not comfortable yeeting Harry Potter to space, you might want to just bring some characters in that are different. Like a popular one is Sherlock Holmes. I actually have a real soft spot for Sherlock Holmes, Harry Potter crossovers. I think that they're adorable. Um, but there is a lot of British TV shows that are great, that are great uh, that you could draw from. Um, there's been uh, quite a few also NCIS Harry Potter crossovers. I've even seen a fair number of MCU Harry Potter crossovers, Harry Potter and Stargate. Um, some of those work less well for me than others, but, you know, to, to your tolerance. But that can be a way for you as a writer to just kind of breathe some life into your, um, into, into fandom that you enjoy. Maybe you're tired of writing Harry. Um, you're tired of writing Hogwarts era, or you're tired of writing Harry going through fourth year, fifth year, or whatever. Um, uh, for me, um, I think of doing like MCU crossovers, then CIS kind of really breathed some new life into NCIS for me for a while. Um, although I was never going to write a whole ton of a whole lot. Some people can write a lot of like um, canon based NCIS stories. That was never going to be something I was going to be deeply invested in because I just don't enjoy writing um, those same thematic elements repeatedly. You know, team dynamic of solving crimes. I, I would rather mix it up more, bring Criminal Minds cast in or something. Um, and I also got to the point that I really wanted to, I think one of the things that made for me the the MCU crossover really appealing was because I really enjoy writing Tony Stark and I just was not finding a lot of viable pairings for him. And I think he and Tony Dinoza are a good foil for each other. So, I mean, I was able to juggle the name issue um, 
And I would like to write another Tony Stark story. I just don't know what I want to do. I really enjoyed writing Tony Stark. I think he fits my writing style. Yeah, I agree. He's a good character. He's got, I mean, he's got a lot of sass and a lot of snark. I think he's a good character for you. Um, He's very smart, very, um, he's got a lot of depth. I could see that you'd be very drawn to him as a character. And I could see that, you know, for a while, you could definitely see that you were very drawn for a long time to him with Steve Rogers. And then the canon... Fuck it's terrible. Own. It's terrible when Canon fucks you up your your pairing, and then you and they did for me too. And then you've got to go find something else. Um, I I really liked what you did with Loki, but I don't feel as where I really like reading that. I really liked reading it. I'm not as drawn to it as a pairing to write for myself. It um, wasn't even the pairing that I started out with when I was doing the zero drafting to start with, but then I I I, I OTP'd myself in a short. Because I originally planned to write that as Tony and Bruce Banner. Yeah, I remember where you talked about that. Then I wrote a short and and, and Betty Ross's POV, and it was over. Yeah, you OTP'd yourself about Bruce and Betty. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I was trying to, and at that time, I was also trying to persuade myself on the Tony Stark, Bruce Banner train. And um, got all on board the Betty but I also don't think, in retrospect, I don't think that Bruce is as good a foil for Tony as, as Dom is. So it's it's not, I'm not sad. I was just sitting here thinking about characters outside of the MCU that I would pair Tony Stark with. And I was like, remember how we had that plot idea where, what if Happy, when he got injured, he called somebody in to take yeah. over his security? What if it was Mike Banning? Hmm. Right? <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> we could just do like a whole feeding frenzy called what if it was mike banning <laughs> yeah what if it was mike banning mike gets called in to solve everybody's problems <laughs> i mean but what if it was like what if it was mike banning boy mike's not gonna take any tony shit <laughs> none of it i don't care that you're iron man you're not iron man right now you're tony stark We'll and I will this sit again on, when you're Iron Man. <laughs> I will sit on you if I have to. No, you are not going to invite killers to your house. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> Tony's like, you just can't go around shooting people in the head. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. <laughs> that is, as a matter of fact, I can. But yeah, and, you know, so you got to ask yourself those questions. Like, what if? What if it was? What I? What if I? So I'm bored. So what? Do, how do I get my character into more interesting circumstances? What if they? And I think that's where we get started with the what if Tony left? What if it this? What if what if Styles left Beacon Hills? What if Styles got into his magic when he was younger? What if, what if, what if, what if? And some authors are not comfortable veering away from canon. They don't know what to do with that. It's like even when they insert a major new element, like a brand new character that should totally shake everything up, they'll still have all the canon happen. Don't do that. That's not what we're talking about. If you're bored with canon, making putting a bunch of new elements in just to have canon happen exactly the same thing, that is not how you deal with your boredom. <laughs> well, I think that some people find it daunting to approach that what if question because it takes them in a in direction that they can't they can't either see the ripples or they can't control the ripples, um, and then they get frustrated and they retreat to canon. Yeah, but. 
you just got to sit and work it out. Sometimes working it out out loud, you, if you start talk, sounding it out out loud, well, if I do this and you, then you'll say, and then this happens and you'll go, but no way, that doesn't make any sense. That's ridiculous. Because in your head, it might've made sense. But the minute you say it out loud and you verbalize it, you're going to go, no, no, that's silly. That wouldn't go down that way. Um, talking to yourself as a writer can actually be very helpful. So we're not going to say what, because this is a, um, it'll be a surprise, but like we were doing a little bit of plotting, a little bit more plotting on our Spartan story idea. And we threw a, what seemed like it, it initially a little thing. What if at the very beginning, this little thing is different? What if this is this? And that little thing, little teeny tiniest little change creates enormous ripples, but in a really fun way. Yeah, we did something fun. I think you're going to enjoy it. We also learned that we can plot with the same document if we share a screen. Discord's awesome, man. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> well, sometimes you do take a little moment. You take a little thing and you twist it or you turn it or you flip it over or you put somebody else in that spot. And the changes will can be immense. Like earlier in the Harry Potter channel, we were talking about Aunt Eladora. And I was like, you know, I kind of want to write a fic where Aunt Eladora is a portrait in her, in um, Hogwarts. And she finds out that, he, well, well, kind of blew up in my head was that she would find out that she, that Harry Potter is Sirius Black's godson and therefore the heir to the House of Black. Well, she likes this idea. So where do you insert this canon? Where does this come from? I think it makes sense that it takes place sometime in third year. I've never written a third year fic. I've written in between second and third year. I've written fourth. I've written fifth and etc. Um, and then how would that third year change? Actually, I do have a third year fic, but it's a time travel. It's the Black Dragon one, but it's not the same because it's time travel. So they're not really children. Um, how would this Harry Potter, who knows basically jack shit about himself or anything else, encounters um, this portrait who... Tells him all about himself, all about what life he could have, about his godfather, and he starts investigating that shit and wants to know why everybody's lying to him. Um, she says, "You know what? You should just try to take the airing. Just, just, just ask for it. Just, just tell magic who you are." And, and what happens if a thirteen-year-old Harry Potter is sitting in the middle of Hogwarts in an empty classroom talking to a portrait and says, "Just, just declares before magic, I'm the heir of the House of Black." What goes down? What happens? What are the ripples? Does Sirius feel it? What if it happened first year when Arcturus Black is still alive and all of a sudden he has an heir and he feels it in his magic and he takes his ass off to Hogwarts to see who has dared to claim that to, to be an heir of the House of Black when he's already told Draco Malfoy that it ain't gonna be fucking him and he gets there and it's Harry Potter. Harry Potter is wearing the heir ring to the House of Black. And it's his great aunt Eladora's fault. <laughs> so what do you do with that? Where does that go? Hmm. Here's your heir. <laughs> his circumstances are terrible. Do something about it. Or there will be hell to pay. And since we don't really know much about why Arcturus Black died, um, you can change a lot with that. You could have Arcturus Black live. Yeah. Um, because it could be that actually that Arcturus Black was murdered. Right, it could very that, well be that by him leaving his house and getting away from whatever killed him, um, that he saves his own life, or maybe he just gave up. 
because all of his grandchildren were thought to be corrupt. His wife was dead. All of his children were dead. His two, three living grandchildren were four living grandchildren. None of them were talking to him for one reason or another. And he just went to bed one day and didn't wake up. But what if, because Harry Potter put the ring on, he gives something, he gives Arcteria something to live for, something to fight for, and something to question. Because then it comes to light that his grandson is actually Harry Potter's godfather. What's that mean? Did yeah, he really betray the Potters? It depends on how you do Godfather. If if you have serious make a vow, that if in that world building, Godfathers and Godmothers make vows to protect the children that they are agreeing to be a godparent to, then Her then then it's impossible for Sirius to to have survived betraying the Potters, which I often do. I think it's a very interesting piece of um, magic world building, um, yeah. and yeah, yeah. So it's, what do you do with it? And you could do this in any fandom. It doesn't have to be Harry Potter. You could take any character and give them something new. Some some tiny little new bit of circumstances that they didn't have before. And in turn, change everything. I've been noodling on this idea um, where I wanted to write this series called Tony Denoso Finds His Ambition or something like that. Where like fairly early in his NCIS career, like in the first four years, so in the first two seasons. And my thought was something like he gets involved in a, I want to say like a basketball or a baseball game or something where he just shows really well at a sporting event. But it it's one of those things where it's supposed to be like feds against military. And I was thinking about starting it like in a, no, <laughs> no, he does not meet Mike Banning. I was thinking Endgame would actually be Randolph Rampart on this one, but mm. <laughs> but um, I'm on board this train. But that it's like um, the, it starts off in one of the one of the military guys is the first episode would be like one of the military guys' point of view, and somebody sends a text and it's like, "Do we decide is NCIS Fed or military?" And they're like, "There's a debate." And they go, and finally the debate is like, "If they're military, anybody's on the Department of Defense is." So it's like, I'm sorry, law enforcement versus military. And so it's uh, ultimately they decide anybody under the DOD is, is military and everybody else is law enforcement. So Tony comes in as kind of, and it has to be, um, so it has to be like senior field agents or above. Um, they, have to, they have to have a certain rank equivalency to, because it has to be like officers and it has to be, because they don't want to like, you know, just get a bunch of, you know, young guys straight out of college who are going to kick all the old officers ass, right? So Tony comes in, he starts winning it for the military. So he starts making friends with some of these, you know, um, senior military officers. And he starts playing poker with like the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And they start mentoring him of like, well, why are you still, we're trying to figure out like, like, so like over their poker games, he likes helps them solve like petty crimes going on in their offices. Like, we don't understand why you're still a senior field agent. What's going on with that? Let's do something about that. <laughs> and they just kind of like, subtly nudge him onto a different career path. And then eventually when Randolph Rampart is made commandant of the Marine Corps, Tony meets him and <laughs> platonic sugar baby. Yes, that's the story now. It's going to be its working title. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> I wouldn't want to get into the whole Stargate thing, so I, I wouldn't do this the Stargate crossover. I think that if he had a support structure like this, that he wouldn't even agree 
to go undercover on an unsanctioned mission. Oh no, never. Because here, here's the thing about that kind of ripple. When he has friends that are that high up in the government, his behavior could reflect on them. And un, like unethical behavior could come back to bite them. Because if he got caught, got arrested, his background would be investigated. His for his relationships would be investigated. And the, the, all of a sudden, they're asking the White House chief of staff why he has poker games with a guy who's in federal who's un, in, who's in federal custody for whatever he did. You know? Yeah. And honestly, or, hey, did you know that your poker buddy lost his job for doing something really fucking unethical and also raped by fraud? Can and we just they, say that? Right. And they would um um I don't think I don't think it would ever get that far because the Ziva thing would if he's being mentored like starting in maybe season two by these guys, if Ziva comes along and he says something, he just even casually mentions, I don't understand why we've got a Mossad liaison on on an investigative team. It's so weird. You got a what? He's gonna get they're gonna he's gonna get looks. Like you got a what? He's like, let's just play poker. I'm just bitching. Um the next day he goes to work. She's not there. Where's Siva? Where's the director? I don't understand what's going on. Huh. <laughs> like Tony's problems mysteriously. Why Tony's problems mysteriously go away? Um, but yeah, the chip would still, I think chip was like, Tony, the new director Granger wants to see you in his office. Apparently he wants to thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what for. And so, the, the chip thing would still happen, but the director of the FBI is going to get a call from the Joint Chiefs of Staff going, is there a particular reason why you arrested Tony Donozo? Because you found a leg. A leg. Not even a body. A leg. Is that the way you work? A leg. Well, legs come from bodies, don't they? <laughs> Do you know how this leg happened to be where it was and where it comes from and who it belongs to? And Are you actually accusing a federal agent of eating a corpse because, that, because that's what it boils down to because chip framed him by putting his teeth impressions in the leg mm -hmm. how the hell did they know that those were tony's teeth impressions i forget um it, 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 dental records i mean all all the ncis oh. agents have given dental records so oh okay once they found tony's dna on the legs or his fingerprint or something on the leg then they said oh we've got a, we've got this bite mark thing and then they, they Abby was so confident it's not going to match Tony, and it did, of course. And they all just kind of look at each other, like, which should have been their clue because, like, Tony's going to go, that's just so ridiculous, right? He's going to go and amputate somebody's leg, chomp his teeth into it, and then dump it on federal grounds. But see, it's such a dumb thing. It like the whole plot is dumb because what federal investigator worth his salt? leave behind a body part with his own DNA on it. Right. I mean, it was obviously a frame. It was, it should have been obvious to anybody that it was a frame. And yet they kept going, oh, but the evidence keeps pointing to Tony. Yeah, the evidence that it's a frame. Because that's the question that's like, and that's that's what I think would be entertaining about, like, you know, a general calling up the FBI and going, really? He's an exceptional federal investigator, and he just leaves evidence of his kills right out there on military base. Oh, for I don't think for a minute that Fornell thought he did it. Uh, Sachs did. Sachs yeah. thought he did it. Fornell yeah. didn't. Sachs thought he did it. Well, Sachs would have any reason to put Tony in jail, but I don't think Fornell thought for a minute that he did it. 
But the other side of it becomes is when someone's framing somebody else for a murder, that person being framed is in danger. Yeah. And that needs to be addressed. Which probably, in some respects, the FBI arresting him probably did keep him out of danger. Um, But I just think it'd be like the Joint Chiefs would be like, wait a minute, what do you mean he's... And if he's already playing poker by then at the White House, too, they'd be like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. the president's poker buddy. I really hope you've got a lot of evidence. I really hope you do. (laughs) And it could be like, Tony, that could be hysterical. Tony, where were you? Um... At this huge time window. Well, for a big piece of that, um, rather large piece of that, I was in a conference room with the Pentagon. Gibbs of the funny look, you were at the Pentagon? I'm pretty sure it's in the visitor logs. Why were you at the Pentagon? Visiting a friend. <laughs> Sitting in my boyfriend's lap. <laughs> he had a hard day. She got real. <laughs> and then for, um, for, I was like, why are the Joint Chiefs of Staff so interested in the fact that you got framed for this? And Tony's like, they don't like it when I'm not there for the weekly poker game. Anyway, I wouldn't actually write Tony as an actual bicycle character, personally. Um, I, you know, the thing is, is I, um, as amusing as that kind of thing is, like... Oh, you mean like everybody fucking kind of Theoretically. Right. I, no, no, I wouldn't either. I'm I'm definitely one of those people. I'm a romance writer. I'm a I, I like people to fall in love and be in love and and explore chemistry and I don't want to just write to be writing and I don't want to write um, a parody of my own care of, of of my favorite character. No, Does I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking about this being more in terms of like they um, are invested in his career kind of thing, not invested in his ass. Right, but the chat room is being the chat room <laughs> yeah well i am on board the the, the platonic sugar baby though <laughs> but that would actually be funny if they're all kind of invested in him and then rampart joins the game and he's like i want some of that and then like all of them give him the shovel talk <laughs> <laughs> yeah rampart's like rampart shows up they're like this is our poker buddy and he's like Hi. <laughs> it's really nice to meet you. He's a very special agent, Tony Genoso. Maybe like one of the other guys. Knows <laughs> and they're it. like, oh, hell no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the other joint chiefs maybe knows that Rampart's bisexual and that that's why his marriage didn't last. And he gives him the look and he's like, the minute that they're kind of alone, he's like, what the hell? And he's like, that right there is why I'm divorced. <laughs> <laughs> the world's most scary group of dads. <laughs> The chief of staff of the airport Air Force is like, we have to talk right now. I don't know. Um, this isn't on. <laughs> we have plans for him. He has a career trajectory. What? What? What are you doing? Are you serious? Is there going to be a ring? <laughs> there better be a ring. <laughs> We're not going to have you damaging his reputation. <laughs> We're invested in this. Don't start with none. Don't be none, Rand. I'm serious here. <laughs> You court him formally. Informally. <laughs> there will be flowers. <laughs> but if you're serious, if you're actually serious about this, we'll we'll work on the president about getting don't ask, don't tell repealed. <laughs> <laughs> we just want Tony to be happy and successful. If I gave my husband flowers, he wouldn't know what to do with himself. Mostly because 
I don't like cut flowers myself. So for me to buy, you know, already dying flowers to give to him, he would probably take it as a threat, <laughs> considering how <laughs> I feel about them. <laughs> Why'd you buy me dying flowers? I know how you feel about this. See, I can come up with endless ways to be entertained with Tony that don't have anything to do with writing an NCIS case fic. Now, sometimes there's an NCIS case fic idea that crosses my mind that seems interesting, but um, but I um, I find the other ideas more interesting. Edible arrangements are great, though. Yeah, you can get um, all candy ones. You can get a mixture of candy and fruit. You can get all cut fruit. It's really good. Yeah, you know, pineapple and little cantaloupe edible, skewers. Edible arrangements is when I discovered that I like chocolate covered pineapple, which I did not know until edible arrangements. That's how you learn. Yeah, I, you can get cookie bouquets. Yeah, I knew about. I knew about. I know I like chocolate. Oh, he was thinking about the other edibles. <laughs> well, only in some states. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I knew I liked chocolate dipped oranges and chocolate dipped strawberries. But I did not know I liked chocolate dipped pineapple. You have to go to something like certain states to get the funny brownies in your bouquet. <laughs> yeah, I'm in one of those states, so. Well, that's it. And there's, I mean, I'm not saying anything bad about NCIS case fic. That's not it at all because I enjoy reading them. But sometimes I just don't want to write it. So, um, I would say 99 percent of the time I wouldn't want to write it. But I appreciate the good authors who were with their jam because it gives me something to read. Um. Now, I will use a case fic to tell another part of us. That's sort of a backdrop for another story, like De Novo. Um, yes, it's because it's not, yeah, because you can still get in trouble. Um, you can get in trouble with your drug test, even if you're in a state where it's legal, if you work for the government. Raise a number that I don't work for the government. Um, right? I'll have ruining our fun times. But I do believe that's eventually going to be legal fed legal federally so anyway um um so there are ways to have fun with a fandom that is it's not the maybe it's not the fandom that's boring you maybe it really is just the canon like especially if you're a canon adjacent writer no one is a canon writer people need to stop using that term um you're a canon adjacent writer or you like a lot of people like in the 911 fandom, they write episode codas. So they'll call them canon compliant, which means that it, canon occurred up through that episode. So it's like, yeah, but they're still not a canon writer because they don't work for the show. And that thing that they wrote is not getting produced, which means it's not canon. But because they write codas only, it's they're basically able to say that up through that episode that everything is canon compliant. Um, I find that to be, outside of a short story here or there, I find that to be personally a little bit tedious because that makes me feel really hemmed in. Um, my, I like being able to change canon. That's what I want to do is change things, fix things, move things around. Um, if I just found canon super satisfying, I wouldn't be writing fan fiction. For me, um, one of the first things I did was get like just get rid of the, just, just erase the idea that I had to um, ad adhere to canon. Because what? Why? But no. No. And no. honestly, sto stories that are really enslaved to canon are boring. And they can feel stifling when you read them. It feels, you can almost feel that the, once it's over about 10,000 words, you can honestly feel how stifled the author is. That they're just, you know, st stuck with this albatross of canon around their, around their neck. So, um, 
If you are a canon adjacent writer, however, like you're used to making a little bit of a change and exploring the ripples of it, but you're getting kind of bored, um, either because your show's been on the air for 20 years and it's just you're not sure how many more case files you can write, or um, you just never wanted to write case files to begin with, or you're tired of writing Harry Potter going back to school, but you like the kind of fix it for Harry's childhood, but you're tired of dealing with Hogwarts. There are ways to, um, to really change things up, bring in different characters, put your character in different circumstances. Now, the funny thing is I find one of the most interesting things about the Harry Potter fandom is that I will see people so rarely want to see Harry educated away from Hogwarts. It's like the idea of erasing Hogwarts from, from his experience as it, it's like, it's like, they, it's like they can't deal with it. People, there were, there were commoners who got really bent with me that Harry didn't go to um, Hogwarts until his um, sixth year in Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. They found that really upsetting. Uh, and I must, I'm not, that doesn't surprise me at all because of how few stories there are where Harry is raised and educated away from Hogwarts. Uh, it's like the idea of erasing Hogwarts as part of the ripples of a change. And the thing is, I see, I see people <clears throat> making changes that to me, the logical thing to do would be to not educate him at Hogwarts, but they don't go there. It's like the ripple would be send Harry to a different school, but they don't do it. It's like they just can't imagine it. So that is, I think, like eventually going to be like the next horizon for Harry Potter writers. writers. One of these days is people are going to have to get on board the, the bandwagon of trying educating I Harry would Potter elsewhere. like to write a fic where it starts perhaps in like his fifth or sixth year of education at the International Academy of Magic. Or, or or something like that, and, and he's been there the whole time. I think that would be really interesting. One of the ways I fixed Harry's childhood without actually going through his Harry Potter years or his Hogwarts years or the war is that I started everything after all that was settled, and that was in 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 courting Hermione Granger. Hermione did not go to school in Britain, um, and so well she went briefly and then she left uh, because of being bullied, um, and so they meet as adults for real and that's the one way you can approach that where you don't have to slog through the um and then you can introduce the changes gradually i mean one of the first things that you learn about harry is as he's sitting on the wizigamote huh. um i got it right the first time um uh waiting for this trial to start is that he was raised by Sirius black so Immediately, that changed us all of his circumstances, and you know that he can't fucking stand Ron Weasley. I mean, you you learn these things really quickly. For damn good reason, can't stand Ron Weasley. Um, the thing is, I do remember reading some stories way back when where Harry went to a different school initially, initially. Um, but a lot of I would say the biggest, like ninety percent of the ones I encountered, he wound up at Hogwarts eventually. Um. It's like the idea of taking Hogwarts out entirely is just so well, I impossible. Think for some people, just the idea of a school where they can learn magic is the part that they like most about Harry Potter. Yeah, but I mean, you could. there are other schools of magic. It doesn't have to be Hogwarts. But the thing is then when there are other schools of magic, that's where you get into having to create a, a bunch of new characters and that that starts to feel really daunting for some people. And I get it. I get it. I think it would be really interesting to write an academy fic, like an international academy. Um, and normally I use that for like 
like basically like I consider that kind of magical college, but there definitely would be a an, another version of it for minors. I just have I've never explored it in in like a yeah a, a, a prep school. Um, but it, but in my mind, it would certainly exist. Yeah. Or so, I mean, you could explore, like, if you're sending Harry off to live with somebody who's basically a muggle, he could be getting his education through tutoring at, at with the Diverger. It doesn't have to be, um, he doesn't have I to really actually I really enjoyed that part of All the World, where yeah. they um, laid out how they would get their education, and, you know, that Lenore basically prepped them to go to the Air National Academy to, to study for their newts. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like a parallel Hogwarts experience. Um, so I say that there's um, every story that I've ever, that I had read way back, you know, when I was first reading Harry Potter, which I kind of didn't stick with Harry Potter for very long. But um, when I first was reading that had Harry in an alternate school, he did eventually wind up at Hogwarts. It was like, it was like they eventually buckled and were like, okay, here, here, just here, put him back, put him in Hogwarts. I can't deal. Um which is it, it's fine, and it, although sometimes it's clearly that was always the intention was to get him back to Hogwarts, better educated, better trained. Um, I even plotted a story where after fourth year, he was basically um, taken to a different school um, and educated and trained in because of the threat Voldemort presented, and then uh, brought and then sent back uh, two years later to Hogwarts. But that was. The, the per purpose, but there was that was a completely different set of circumstances. The impetus for his removal was because of Voldemort's resurrection. Um, yeah, it, there is the OC thing. It becomes a big deal. When you change your character settings uh, completely, you do have to, an alternate school would be a lot of OCs. But if you're putting your character into a crossover circumstance, like you're giving them a different family, you don't necessarily have to do you don't have to focus on the magical education, the schooling part of it. And I think that's one of the things people get into this rhythm with, with Harry Potter of, we have to show a year of education. Um, and you don't, you could, it could just be family focused, right? It could be found family where he's got this new family and he's making, you know, he's got, I don't know, he's living with Sherlock and John and he's, you know, going to the bank um, four hours a day or whatever to learn magic. And that part is glossed over, him learning magic part. And it's him learning to be a little investigator that is the part that you're focusing on. The little mini Sherlock. So, Although the idea of setting a little mini Sherlock loose in Hogwarts is really amusing. It is funny. And there are stories and out there. And also the letters that John would get. Dear John. During the sorting, Dumbledore said that if we went to the third door corridor, we would die. So I went there and there's a big giant, giant underlined dog with three heads. What should I do? The next day, John Watson's <laughs> the front gate of Hogwarts. Well, there is a story. It's, it's a whip and I can't, I couldn't find it if you paid me, honestly. I couldn't find it if you paid me. And it is a work in progress where it's Harry's raised by Moriarty and Sebastian Moran. <laughs> and when he writes about his, I think it's his first year experience at Hogwarts. It is Sebastian Moran and Moriarty who show up at Hogwarts. They, and they do, they show up unannounced, knocking, basically knocking on the front gates. Basically, a what the fuck is going on here kind of situation. And it's the Sebastian Moran one. Um, that's the one where <laughs> when Hagrid shows up to get Harry to give him his letter. 
Sebastian Moran pumps him full of lead. I mean, he just shoots the fuck out of him, which he doesn't kill him, but I shouldn't have been as amused by him <laughs> unloading his gun into, into Hagrid as I was, but I was very amused. <laughs> I actually read a fic once where Dumbledore went to check on Harry or maybe it was when he went to set the wards or when they were dropping Harry off and Vernon killed him or shot him in the head. I don't, I don't think it killed him, but it messed him up. Well, nobody deserves Like he forgot all of his dastardly plans or something. <laughs> nobody deserves to be messed up more. Um, but you could give you give give uh, uh, Harry a really scary um, parent who does not deal with him being put in jeopardy. Well, it had it would it would come across a little bit cracky, but who cares? It puts a ripper on a plane. There actually is a story where Will and Hannibal find Harry and raise him. I've not read it, but there also is a story where where Morticia and Gomez um, Gomez raise harry it's called um harvest adams that is a harvest great, adams great series right. um i really enjoyed harvest adams so there's a lot of really good um examples out there of people you know in, in whatever fandom there's going to be examples out there of people who've gone the big crossover route the big fusion route like i'm going to do something unusual with with this, because I'm, and sometimes I wonder, were they bored with canon? I mean, did boredom take? Is this, is this, is this the byproduct of a lot of boredom? Um, in a good way, in a good way, because sometimes the byproduct of a lot of boredom is something really entertaining. Who knew that fire had like ten syllables? None of us knew until the <laughs> until the goblet of fire. <laughs> right. <laughs> I would say that actually, almost every fan fandom that I write in, if I was stuck with canon, I would be bored with that fandom by now. If oh, I was, yeah. if I was confining myself there, um, I mean, because if I confine myself with canon, John would never get laid. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't mean, I don't mean confining myself to that degree of canon, because if, if by that measure, nobody ever gets laid, um, except Carlos and TK on. <laughs> and only apparently in season one of Lone Star, I'm just saying. Um, but um, if you're confining yourself to staying close to canon, being very parallel to canon or canon adjacent, I would be I would be very bored. I think I think with all of my fandoms by now, um, except I mean maybe not the newest one, but that's just because I've written like one thing in the newest one, and so I haven't had a chance to get bored yet. Right, but, but it might only take two stories to get me completely bored, because it's a procedural, basically. I mean, it's yeah. not like cops, but it's but still, it's a rescue confined. procedural. It's a rescue procedural, yeah. yeah. So, um, and and so the the canon is not going to be, it's not going to change. It wouldn't matter how many years of, other than the, the character backstory, the the actual canon is not going to get a lot different it's going to be what it is um teen wolf i was never interested in canon teen wolf ever <laughs> i wasn't interested in staying near it buy it <laughs> uh or i just was all i ever wanted to do is go around now the closest i will say the closest i got to it is unobstructed views which is a direct on the surface of it it's a direct canon divergence but um in the sequel, all the world building really comes out, and it's—I changed the universe quite a bit. So, um, 
Well, we have quite a few people who've seen the whole show. Um, but the, even those who have seen the whole show tell you it wasn't worth it. <laughs> it's almost like they did it for research purposes. Um, because their masochistic streak is is bigger than mine. I've managed, I've, and the only reason, Miss Aaron, I've managed more than that is because I was doing research for a story. So um, I, I picked, once I started writing in Team Wolf, I did wind up write, watching more episodes in the sense of like, okay, I need to see this scene. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. I don't care about Scott's mooning. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. You know, so I did wind up watching more um, to be able to understand the episodes that impacted but the thing about Teen Wolf is, you know, you might be paying attention to canon from one episode and then ignoring all the episodes around it because there's, it's so nonsensically contradictory. I ruined you with my EAD story. <laughs> ruined. Okay. I mean, so, sometimes that happens. <sighs> Did you intend to ruin people? I don't know. Did I? I actually tried to cut it off before the parts that I thought would drive people bonkers. So, but it could just be—it could just be that the, um, um, it could be that Styles putting Polly on the corner is where I cut it off. I don't know. Maybe that's it. That is literally the last line. Is Talia asked thirty-one-year-old Styles if he's come back in time to take up with her fifteen-year-old son, and Styles goes, "What? What is wrong with you? He's like half my age. Go to the corner." <laughs> I would take your essay, Bri. One of the stumbling blocks I think I'm going to have in November is the, the name change. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep Harry, of course, but I can't not. But I, th I, th I think I'm going to stumble on the name change. I Yeah, it's it's um in my EAD, that was one of the things I was starting to have a hard time with is Styles' name changes because there is a Styles because it's also physical time travel. And there is a Styles already in that universe. And so he's like going, I can't be Styles. There's already a Styles. Mm. Well, yeah, Harry Potter can't be Harry Potter in 1975. Um, because there's a James Potter who isn't going to understand. Am I, am I related to you? Right. Um, um, so, yeah. Yeah, put her in the corner for that. Uh, no, no. Perry Potter, Perry Hotter. Oh. Honestly, honestly, honestly. But no, um, he's gonna go by the name Peverell. It'll be Harry and Draco Peverell. They'll be um, posing as or married by that point. So <clears throat> when when they return to Britain, so to speak. Um, it's a fic I haven't written yet. It's my November um, rough trade. I'm writing a series of connected stories for the whole year, Bri. Um, so we're so going to start and see how it goes. Shelbells, that is a that is a Tom E. Jim City um, level of uh, name obfuscation. I have to say, we should just change your nickname to Tom E. Jim City on the server. That's that's actually a pretty big insult, though. I mean, <laughs> chocolate ruined you, Star. God, I thought I could trust you. Look what you did. <laughs> We can't trust any of you. Any of you. Have you, have you all had chocolates? The Malters or the Pot Boys? I can't. <laughs> the Pot Boys. I can't. Fandom and its name mashups. I can't. I might as well name them both Harry and Draco Dreary. <laughs> <laughs>
But yeah, I think that the name change is going to be a is a stumbling block for me going um going into November. But I'll I'll get my head around it, or I'll just do a master place. <laughs> you're doing a lot, but you're just changing their last name, right? You're not changing their first right. name, right? Yeah, right. It, when every time I have to change a character's first name, it's always a struggle, and I know I'm going to fuck it up, and people are going to be like, "Oh, I'm so confused." I'm like, "No, you're not. You know, I'm fucking up on accidentally." It does seem to be. I mean, I don't have a problem using um, um, Hadrian, and I probably will. I probably will. Chuck Tingle. I probably will use Hadrian as his real first name and Harry as the nickname. But I don't actually have a problem with that because that's already kind of my headcanon. Yeah. That his name is Hadrian. It's it's um, Fanon. It's Fanon Vicage. Just like Draco's is actually Draconis. But um, so it's just, it's just, just headcanon for myself, which will make it easier. Um. No, his canon name is Harry James Potter. But I do consider Harry a nickname. So, um, and I, I think Hadrian Pe over Harrison. I, I like Hadrian too, but I think Peverell is a good a good last name choice. Um, yeah, Henry. I've seen, um, I've actually seen Henry before as well. Yeah. Um, but I, his I, grandfather was named Henry. Yeah, but there's no indication in canon that his name is anything other than Harry. But I think people assume it's it's short for something, so they give him all sorts of Harry, Harrison, I mean, Harold, Harrison, Hadrian. Um, uh, there ain't no way in hell I'm ever using Fleamont for um, an ancestor. Well, I mean, I guess it depends upon if you like the name, if your name is John and you like Jack better, it's not about length, right? But it's um, also if you are a John Patrick Jr., you might go by Jack as a kid. Or if you are a Henry Fitzroy Potter the third, you might end up being called Trey or Harry. Yeah. And if somebody's name is short to begin with, they're they, there's no way to give a to give them a diminutive. So their nickname might actually wind up being longer than their real name. Poor Shadow. Trip. Oh my god. I've heard Trip too. I um I actually know a Trey. So Whenever I hear the name Trip, I think of somebody who vacations in the Hamptons and shops at J. Crew. I just can't deal. There's a whole, there's a whole <laughs> stereotype. Definitely shops at J. Crew. Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's, a, there's a whole stereotype in my head that just I could never. His name girlfriend's name Trip. is Buffy. Yeah, or Candy. They met or, through their. Or they met Mindy. through their tennis pro, who she's yes. also banging. He might be banging him too. <laughs> Maybe wears a sweater around his shoulders, not neatly. Yeah. The Chad Brad sweater set type. For Trip, it goes to CSI Miami. There was a his um his last name was Trip, yeah. Oh, Frank Trip. Okay. Yeah, I guess when somebody is called by their last name, I just I just I, I separated out in my head from somebody whose first name is Trip. But anyway, moving on. Um, so we've talked a little bit about Harry Potter. There's a lot of Harry Potter because it's got such a big uh fan works base it means huge it's massive that there are examples of people going to outer limits um of, of clearly they got bored with canon although sometimes i think there's not as much as i would expect right there's still people kind of working the really continuing to work the the hogwarts era stuff which is cool write what you want to write um but there's everything there's video game crossovers video game fusions um Movie crossovers, movie fusions. There's uh, Harry and Star Trek, Harry and Star Wars. Uh, it, it, 
it's such that's so much so it's an example it is a really good example of what people do when they're bored with writing what they've what they know in terms of what they know in terms of uh, what they've always done but like what if harry potter watched star wars when he was little and was convinced that he had the force yeah instead of magic so he trained himself like a jedi that would be a hoot him and hermione meet up in a park and trained to be Jedi's. I I I have plot notes somewhere where Harry wish magics himself to somewhere where he'll be safe when he's little, like two two years old, and he wish magics himself right to Eru, who's like, well, well, <laughs> if you're not if you're not going to take care of your little Lightbringer, I'm going to take him to Middle Earth. So you fell down on that job. Too bad. So sad. That's how he ended up in small. Well, that. In small magic, basically, Lily basically yeeted Harry <laughs> into Arda. <laughs> Eating is our word of the day. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Um, I'm really proud of my work in Harry and um, small magic. It's actually almost done. Uh, at least the rough draft is. Um, uh, because my last plot note that I had not done yet is um, Battle of the Five Armies. That's it. <laughs> that that's what I got left. I used to go to church. I taught men's this before. I used to go to a church with a guy named. He was very adamant that you not call him Dick. <laughs> I mean, I mean. People tried anyway. My favorite line in Small Magic was when he says, I'm really fucking magical. He is really fucking magical. But <laughs> what what's wrong with your parents? If your last name is Swelling, why would they name you Richard? Because why? they're dicks. Because they're dicks. <laughs> <laughs> I think that if well, he went up in front of the judge to get his name changed, he'd be like, so, Mr. Never mind. There you go. Permission. There you go. Uh, uh, congratulations <laughs> on your new name, sir. Petition granted. Stamp. Also, if you'd like to file charges against your parents, I'm I'm willing to explore that. <laughs> some parents just need to be just... Some parents need to be yeeted right out of the baby naming business. Um... So maybe we could talk about what. Well, let's pick some fandoms where you might get bored. Okay. Oh, I got a one. Let's say you're getting bored with the Stargate canon. Now, the thing about sci-fi, sci-fi and fantasy canons is, I think they're often perceived as being more interesting. So it's like there's this perception of like, well, how could you get bored with that? Well, you can. You can get bored super quick. I can count on the number on one hand the number of times I've actually killed a wraith on screen. Oh, Katerina, no. Shut r- r- Miss That person needs rescued. I can't. That that is that is next level. That is next level. Um but that shit gets boring, you know, and I don't even do it that often. Uh there's just so many times you can plan the expedition. There's just so many times you can figure out how to make sure Duranda doesn't happen. You save the kids from the suicide planet. I mean, once you've done your coda or you've done your divergence on one of those or you've done your fix it for one of it, do you really want to do it again? Some things you kind of maybe want to write a fix it for it over and over and over again. Or maybe your favorite launch point for Tony leaving NCIS is dead air. And in one story, you take send him to Hawaii. In one story, you send him to LA. In one story, you send him to Quantico. In one story, you send him to Rota or whatever. But eventually, you are going to run out of places to send him. <laughs> um, but so let's say you're in the Stargate universe 
and you let's say let's say, say Stargate Atlantis. I actually find the Stargate SG one canon more boring, but um, that's me. Um, what do you do when you're one thing is to go go just hog wild declassification. Um, you could even do declassification early in the early in the series, like um, the Wraith made it to Earth and they couldn't they beat it back, but they couldn't hide it and they had to declassify. Or they had a different president and the president was insistent about declassification. Or um, I really liked the declassification elements of what what, what might have been. Mm-hmm. I will conflate your plots like a boss. So um, mm-hmm. you got <laughs> so it right. If I pick the wrong story, just go. That's the wrong one. Um, hey, Brian, that's my favorite spelling for Brian. So you know, I, I I'm all I'm all here for it. I prefer it too. Yeah. If I'm going to write a Brian or OC that I really like, it's going to be spelled B R Y A N. If it's going to be a Brian OC that sort of I don't care much about, it's going to be B R I A N. This is this. These are the rules in my head. Um, also, the other issue is when you have Brian B R I A N, it's too easy to wind up with brain, and you don't see it, yep. and spell spell check doesn't catch it, and then you got all these brains doing things in your story, and yep. <laughs> um, but if you use the Y spelling, you never have an issue of errant brains in your story. It's a thing. Um, so I like really like the declassification element of of what might've been. I've always wanted to write a declassification story uh, for Stargate. I think declassification, but I can see how declassification could be intimidating uh, because there's a reason I glossed over it. It's, it's a lot. It's a big ripple. I mean, the world would be panicked aliens. Oh my God. Space vampires. Oh my God. They almost got to earth. Oh my God. What do you mean? And then they start talking about the Gould and they start talking about, Oh, you mean that there are these some people there are people running around on Earth who might have a parasite in them? Oh my God! So <laughs> I feel like Rodney McKay would get to do exactly one press conference and only one, and it would only be scheduled by someone who doesn't actually know him. And everybody else would be like, "You want McKay to do a okay?" Are you and they, they just me? let it happen. They just let it happen because they know it's never going to happen again. And they're also McKay is going to say what, what they've all been thinking. And couldn't say for various reasons. And then Rodney McKay is never asked to do another po- an, another press conference again as long as he lives. And they're like, oh, that was not good. But the funny and thing then is- when he accepts the Nobel, his speech is edited repeatedly. But there could be. In his, his hotel room. But Rodney could wind up with a cult following because people love him. They're like, why can't we get Mr. McKay or Dr. McKay to explain this to us, please? We know he's not going to lie to us. Well, that's why he can't explain it to you is because we know he's not going to lie to you. Dr. McKay's, um, they lobbied McKay to get a YouTube channel and Miko records it for him. Right. Pegasus according to Dr. McKay. <laughs> the, the, the Joint Chiefs of Staff don't want Dr. McKay talking to anyone ever again. But Rodney would not be the queen of Twitter. Tw- Twitter, he doesn't, there's not enough room on Twitter for Roddy to make himself clear. No, I, I agree it would be a YouTube. It'd be, it'd definitely be YouTube. And and there's, even if TikTok existed, Rodney can't make himself understood in one minute increments. Um, but yeah, I could see them putting questions. They've questioned from Roddy's YouTube channel where they put out a video a week where he's answering some question that's been selected for him to explain. He's like, <sighs> Okay, what stupid question do we have this week? And then he reads, he's like, well, 
This is less stupid than I guess it could be. Little kids around the world saying, Dr. McKay said my question was less stupid than yours. <laughs> okay, there you go. Then he reads, he goes, okay, the person asking this question is six. Okay, I guess it's not a stupid question. If an adult <laughs> asked this question, it'd be utterly dumb. No. <laughs> but since this question is the answers for a six-year-old, I guess I'll use small words. <laughs> and I want you to understand how much this hurts me. Actually, I think it would be fun if he only got questions from children. Like he would only answer questions from children. He'd be like, look, I'll do a YouTube show and I'll answer three questions every week. But I'll only take questions from elementary school students. Because if the rest of you don't know it, you don't deserve to. <laughs> and every once in a while he looks at a question and goes... Mr. President, you are not sneaking your silly questions in with the school kid with the school kids, and he tosses it out. <laughs> I've told you I'm not answering that. <laughs> you have a chief science advisor. Ask him. <laughs> um, so we got declassification. Um, if you really don't want to be read circumstances. I read a really interesting one once. Um, I don't think it ever finished. It was on Wraithbait. I'm not sure if it got moved to AO3. Um, and it was a fic where they had to um, abandon Earth. And not many made it through. And they ended up in what we would now what we now know to be the Altera galaxy. Way, way, way in the past. And they find out that they're actually the ancients. That that migration, they ended up going back in time. And that migration is the beginning of the ancients. It's like this big circle. And they actually create the Ori by accident. And it was by a chocolate physicist. And I don't remember. It I, It was not finished when I read it. Um, and it was on Wraithbait. So I'm not sure if it survived. Um, but, and the reason that John's ATA gene was so powerful is it was the original ATA gene. And it was really interesting. But last time I tried to check it, it wasn't there. And then the time before that, it hadn't been finished. I, th I think it was abandoned. But it was really interesting. Is it called The Origin of All Things? Is it by Chocolate Physicist? Because probably so. Willow is typing. Ah. It was... I, I, I was fascinated by the world building. Um... Something goes wrong during the evac of Atlantis, stranding members of Atlantis expedition on SG-1 in a very strange world. Is yes. that it? Okay. Yes. It's on Live Journal. It's on Live Journal. It's called The Origin of All Things, and it's by Chocolate Physicists. And and it's and apparently it's on AO3 as well. So, but yeah, I mean, and it was like they evacuated and they ended up way, 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 obviously in the distant past, and they set up a time dilation a time dilation field on a planet to evolve a species of primates that's very human-like and they accidentally one of their there was a religious zealot that ended up amongst them and they ended up they escaped the facility that they were on and ended up on the planet in the time dilation field and that was the origin of the ori so it was like oh god you were literally the authors of all your own problems <laughs> But I really enjoy what I read of it. It was I, but I'm a I'm a sucker for world building and consequences and ripples. So and it really, it was really, it hit all those buttons. Uh, thanks for the AO3 link, guys. I couldn't find it, even when I looked up that that username. 
It's 128,000 words and it hasn't been updated since 2011. So don't expect a resolution. But um, I think that if you just want to kind of look at world building and consequences and uh, and how the ripples can, can happen, um, that you can, that it, it's really interesting to look at, to read. Just from an author perspective. So, but anyways, that was like, that the, it was super different. It's the mo- it's actually the most different story I've ever read for Stargate or SG One. I've never read anything else like it. Um, another really interesting one is Thousand Mother, and it's in Stargate Atlantis, um, and it explores um, um, ascension as a natural mechanism of a species. Um, it's r- <sighs> stunning. Thousand Mother is stunning. But if you look at um... And that's by Spring Wolf. Go ahead. Sorry, I had to mute for a second. Um, if you look at, like, Stargate has a lot of good examples of people who've gone different directions exploring what if they never went to Atlantis, or um, there's the Fair Trade, the Coffee Shop AU, which oh, is one of, my, one, of, one of my rare exceptions to the Coffee Shop AU. Um, although I actually have also read a couple of Teen Wolf Coffee Shop AUs that are cute. Um, and I then, read one where Styles just kind of knew what you wanted. Even if you didn't know what you wanted, and he would like give you your cup, and you, I didn't, or you, this is what you want. This is what you want. Here you go. And Derek worked for the sheriff as a, uh, um, he was a deputy, and it, it's cute. I, I forget what it's called. And a farm in Iowa, they never go on the expedition, right? They eventually take turns going out. Um, but Fair Trade by Estefi is probably one of the best AUs I've ever read in Stargate. Um, I like that one. I love Farm in Iowa with the Christmas underwears. Sorry. I'm not sure about that. I am. Okay. <laughs> I didn't ask you. <laughs> um, so there are some really good examples in Stargate already of things you can do. Now, some people have a really hard time letting go of their favorite element in a show, like their favorite element might be Atlantis. And if your favorite element of Stargate Atlantis is Atlantis, well, what do you do when you're bored with canon, but you want Atlantis? Um, you could do a cutoff from Earth where they never make contact again. They establish a colony, and then you don't have the same series of events. You could explore the ripples of Elizabeth Weir being forced to step down um, at the very beginning when the wake- Wraith awoke, uh, rather than her being able to be in charge. And how would things have been different if she hadn't been in charge? Uh, you could explore... Um, what if they'd had to move the city onto a different planet earlier? Um, what if they weren't in the same place? And what if the Earth had had a hard time finding them? Or um, or she could have gotten eaten instead of Sumner. Um, so there's yeah, but ways- what if Elizabeth Weir had insisted on going on that first mission and Sumner stayed behind? And she got cold. Well, the thing is, the military wouldn't have hesitated as long to go after her. So nothing would have happened, I don't think. I guess it would depend on whether or not she tried to negotiate with the Queen. Well, I'm sure she And got have. pulled out of the cell earlier. Well, you could write it that way. God, I mean, I would, you could actually obviously. write it. You could actually write it really. <laughs> if you wanted to get rid of her, you could. It could, Or you could write her being even worse. You could write her negotiating a certain percentage of the expedition in exchange for her own life. Oh, <gasps> that whore. <laughs> I'm just saying. Or the Athosians, yeah. She might have got fed on, on the planet and didn't get cold at all. 
Heifer weir is always brunette. Yeah, definitely. If we're talking about heifer-like actions, you know, the whole dishonor on your cow thing, we're definitely talking about weir of the series as opposed to weir of the sort of... I mean, even if the backdoor pilot weir is the one that... Um... <laughs> negotiating with the gold i still write uh the the dark-headed weir is the evil one <laughs> yeah just because we like her better mm. for that yeah but um i mean weir might have actually had less to offer as far as strategic information goes yeah so but if you don't want to do the whole you could actually even explore the idea that they don't wake the wraith up that they stay in that quiet period um, that they don't find that pendant and they don't wake the wraith. The wraith are still there. They're eventually going to hear about the wraith and they're going to be de in deeply motivated to not wake the wraith once they find out about them. Well, what happens if Sumner says no to John going on the mission? Weir wanted him on it. Sumner said no. What if John said yes, sir, and went back to doing whatever he was doing? He doesn't go on the mission. He doesn't pick up the necklace. He doesn't activate it. It doesn't signal the wraith. The Athosians don't get cold. Right. They then have like a trading partner still on on Athos or Athos, however you pronounce their home planet. Um, that'd be a different exploration of the first season. Um, but again, you have to be willing to explore. That's really exploring what making a critical change there does to the rest of canon. And you have to look at every element of canon. And a lot of it isn't going to happen if you take the Wraith out of the picture. I mean, you know there's some out there, right? There's some that are awake and feeding, and they are still eventually going to run across them, but not in the same way. Yeah, but then the Janai, yeah. So there's different ways to explore. If you want to keep, like you're really tired of working through the same episodes in the same way, but you want to keep Atlantis. Um, or you could um, explore the idea of the sentient city ship in a different way, uh, where... The city just is like, okay, I'm done. The city just gets fed up. It's like, I'm not having it. It's just, it, Elizabeth Weir is too much like the ancients. He's not having it. Having Once he realizes, or she realizes, whichever way you want to go, that they've got another ascension-obsessed idiot at the helm, the city's like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> and the city just says no. And it just starts preparing itself for liftoff and it's like y'all just gotta have i'm not putting up with this so the city makes its wishes known and it says no to elizabeth weir it's like i put up with these idiots sack you know just giving up on this galaxy and giving up on me so they could pursue ascension and now you've brought another one and look at her there she is sitting there caring about nothing but ascension i've had it and you could yeet her off to hang out with Ch chaya for the rest of existence <laughs> What if Atlantis never left Earth? We could be playing a drinking game with the word "yeet," but it only it only be it only work if you, ha you have to use "yeet" in a semi-legitimate context. What if Atlantis never left Earth? What if Atlantis was on on the bottom of the ocean somewhere? In fair trade, both Taylor and Ronan are from Earth, but so you can do anything you want. You can yeah, you can do whatever you want. You can do a Earth-based you know, AU where, you know, the ancients, you could even do an earth-based AU with the Wraith where the Wraith are actually like asleep on Atlantis. You could do a fusion with one of some TV show where they go like the abyss, where they go deep into the ocean and they find the city. And it's like, Oh, there's a city down here. Eh. Surprising. Wraith meet Dementors. Um, 
Yeah, the wraith are like, we can, you can have it sold after we eat. But see, the problem is they're they're feeding, they're not feeding on the same thing. So they could actually cooperate. Like, we will eat its life force, and then you can have its soul. How's that? Okay. Or I could just have your soul. They could be very cooperative killers. Or, yeah, or they could just, the Dementors could just eat the wraith. But that's also a good reason why that you like they should never meet because we don't you don't know how it's gonna work out. Just like you don't know how it'll work out if a wraith met a prior. You don't know what the space catfish are? There are a species of aliens who suck the life out of hum of humanoids. They make you old. And they look like a catfish vampire thing. And kinda like Marilyn Manson. It's kinda like a vampire in Marilyn Manson had a baby. Yeah. <laughs> we picked the exact same picture. They're pretty ugly. She's a real bitch. <clears throat> and the queens are the worst. No. Doesn't look a damn thing like Nebula. She's evil. Nebula's not evil. She's just misunderstood. That's right. Although, to be honest, if I was going to be on Stargate Atlantis, I think I'd want to be a race because I like to be mean. And look at that. that that'd be a badass. See? Yeah. There's not a different way you could be a badass without... I mean, I don't know. No. <laughs> Looking like a space catfish. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, I don't not to be a deny. <laughs> I said a badass, not a crazy ass. <laughs> Although the wraith are probably crazy too. I mean, to be honest, Taylor is a badass. This is true. Ronan's a badass. Um, you'd be Rodney's dick or Bob. Rodney's Bob is uh, um, Zelenka. Uh, Rodney doesn't have. Uh, that was about to really come out wrong. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way to say that where it wouldn't come out wrong. There's no no one's filling the role of Dick. But I think that Miko could. She could. She just hasn't chosen to. So uh, you're boredom with Stargate Atlantis canon. A lot of people have gone the um, I don't I'm tired of of tiptoeing around the episodes or diverging from an episode or um, I love a good they're better prepared story, you know, a good mission prep story. But you know, you can only write so many of those, so many mission preps. Um, you can only write so many squeaky wheel Johns, although I actually still am waiting for squeaky wheel John. Um, sir, sir. Sir, Sir, if you knock on my door one more time, Major, you were going to be a captain. <laughs> well, sir, if you would like to get to Pegasus and recognize a few weeks into the mission that we don't actually have any ammo for practice, target practice, that is, that's okay. <laughs> if that's the way you want it to go. I actually do think this is valuable intel, Captain Shepard, but don't, let it, don't ever let it be said that I give an empty threat. <laughs> and then next meeting, um, Lieutenant Shepard, good information about <laughs> the toilet paper situation. <laughs> well, Corporal, what's it going to be? <laughs> Could someone please knock on his door for me? I have no rank left to give. <laughs> I have sacrificed all my rank for this expedition. Could someone come knock on the door? <laughs> High school freshman shepherd. <laughs> he starts taking away education. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's a lot easier if you're not attached to a major element of the world, right? If you just wanted to put your characters in a different situation, you could go have Big Gay Love in Canada. Um, 
If you Which want, amuse me. Yes, it amuse me too. If you just want to, or you could have a coffee shop AU. You could do a high school AU. You could do a sky high AU. Superpowers. Um, but if you're attached to an element of the world, like the city of Atlantis or something, that then it becomes more complicated. Your boredom, your boredom has complexity, um, and then you've got to figure out how to how to keep that element that you're really attached to. The same thing happens, you know, like if you're bored with Teen Wolf, but you really want to keep the wolves part. It's like, oh, I really don't want to deal with any of this hail fire shenanigans and I don't want to deal with Peter going crazy and biting Scott. I don't want to deal with Scott at all. But I really kind of am into the werewolves. So what do I do? Well, you know. Man, I think I think Teen Wolf is one of those fans that just busted loose because nobody knew what to do with canon. <laughs> People were like, um, Well, the canon's a hot mess, so let's go do this. <laughs> let's go write porn about throats. <laughs> Right? Necks and throats. Um, I love necks and throats they use. And then there's... Um, and they're actually... I actually am very attached to the werewolf part of the... For a long time, I'd be like, why would I read a human AU? But then, you know, um, I read Proposing to Strangers, and that's a human AU. Um, but apparently, if you give me, you know, a biker bar, I'm biker bar AU, I apparently am really into that, so... I mean, I read that one story where Derek's a firefighter and Laura runs a hamburger shop and oh. Styles is a college student with the popcorn and Fireman Derek's cheeseburger pie or something like that. Yeah, that was yeah. really cute. It was. I really enjoyed that. But for the record, I prefer if Derek's a hot werewolf. Um, but hot firefighter ain't bad. No, I mean, if you, it, for a given. Um, Fireman Derek's crazy pie. Cheeseburger baby. By Al Postage. Al Post again. Oh, that's cute. Al Post again. That is adorable. Um, but I have never successfully managed to read through a whole chapter of a non-magical AU for Harry Potter. Oh, me either. That's one where I, the magic is really... I, I have no interest in Harry Potter that magic. I've tried. It just doesn't work. It, it doesn't work. I just couldn't be less interested if I tried. It's so, like I tried. Um, there's some things that are like um, Sentinel Guide AUs without the guide part. I did try one. Turns out I really need both. <clears throat> but you know, there are other ways to explore AU circumstances. Like we're going to do it this year. We're going to layer some tropes on it. We've got soulmates. We've got um, urban fantasy or paranormal. And then we have time travel at the end. Um, so, you know, time travel is my go-to for fix it. I, I really enjoy that as a um, as a fix-it mechanism. Um, but there are other tropes that you could lay, like Sentinel and Guide, obviously, um, on top of any fandom and make it more interesting. Yeah. His Dark Materials um, could be interesting way to jazz up your writing routine. Um, I mean, I wouldn't write it, but also Alpha Omega. I mean, the um, that, that ABO stuff. Um, you can layer it across any fandom. Yeah, but you can also, you don't have to write the consent issues in ABO. That it is a very, it is one, one concept in, in that world building that, that has consent problems. And you can just take it right out. Yeah. You don't have to have yeah. it. You don't have to have mindless heat. That's the, just take it out. But the thing is, most people are writing heat stories. And so they. I think that's all part of that. I, I, that Pond Far thing. Yeah. But Pond Far doesn't have to be a mindless heat either. No. But the thing is, it is a really, is it, pe I've talked to people who've been like, there's just, I, 
the trope is just I'm like just take that one piece out. It's just take it out. It's not it's not as complicated as it sounds. It feels like you're violating the trope, but you're not. Mindless the mindless part of the heat. You can even have heat. I mean, I get really horny sometimes. It's just hormones. <laughs> I don't actually think the mindless heat was originally even part of the ABO, was it? I don't know. I've never read the original Star. I mean, the supernatural stories that's that that uh started it all um I, th- I think we discussed it before and the and the heat thing the um the mindless heat wasn't originally part of it and it just kind of melt kind of morphed into that it's because people wanted to, there to be the consent issues which is just great cake as far as i'm concerned so you don't need that element a continuous consent while somebody is horny is possible even if you wanted the heat in the you, you don't you don't need the heat at all honestly but if you wanted to keep the heats in um I mean, because you could actually do a lot with ABO world building that has nothing to do with heats. But if you wanted, to, if you wanted to leave them in, like you wanted there to be a whole heat plot line around it, like you know your characters getting together to bang, why do they have to be lose their ability to give consent just because they are, right. are horny? That's just we know, Margaret. We know. But the thing is, it's not your fandom that 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 went wackadoo with that. They may have started it, but. I do I do wonder if like I feel like if you took the concepts of like the alpha and the omega um and the self-lubricating and the um and the pairing and and took and took it into something else and called it something else, would it be easier to write? You know what I mean? Like get the stigma of the consent issues off of it? Yeah. Yeah. Because the thing is I've basically taken the every time I write ABO, I because I've done it twice, and I take the that whole I take that whole heat element out. It's not an issue in my stories because I don't deal with it. Um, I I wind up having to put a warning in my stories that I don't have consent issues in my story. It's like yes, right. it's ABO, but there's no consent issues. So just I, I, it's like a non-warning, you know. So you know, it'd be nice if there was a trope that's like non-problematic ABO. I mean, I'm, I'm noodling it because I think that sometimes, like that stigma, is is over, is over, it's it, it's impossible to overcome. I mean, you have to take the alpha and the omega out of it completely. Yeah, and that's that's that really sucks because alpha is such a ubiquitous term for like the leader, the head of the pack, the head of the pride, um, the the person who's the strongest. Alpha is such a ubiquitous term, and the reason I like omega actually um, is because of what omega literally means. It means great. Um, but people use it, it's so often used to be a, um, like a subjugated gender, which yeah. is, which is, you know, bottom of the totem pole or whatever, but oh. yeah, yeah, that exactly, Ellie. I mean, as much as I've seen the term Omega bitch, I will never get over thoroughbred alpha. Thoroughbred alpha cracks me up though. I just... I howled, I howled, and then I had then I had to Google it because what? Well, I didn't laugh. I was just confused. And, we, and the thing is, we don't usually read at the same speed, but we were pretty on pace when we were reading that story. Almost the same moment, we're googling, we, we, we're texting each other, going, "Thoroughbred Alpha." Thoroughbred Alpha. Thoroughbred Alpha. <laughs> and, the, and, and you have do you know what that is? I'm like, no. Do you know what it is? No, I, I never heard the term. And and, and yeah, then then we're googling shit. Then to oh, Google. That's what oh, okay. Okay. It's actually, Alrighty. I could see that conceptually that that would be a thing, that if you come 
from a line that everybody in your line has only come from alpha omega pairings, that that could be a status symbol. Um, but thoroughbred. Thoroughbred. I mean, I'd almost prefer to see pure blood. It doesn't quite fit. I could see why they went with thoroughbred, even though it makes me laugh. <laughs> the thing is, I've seen it in more than that story, though. But that was just the first time I'd encountered it. Um, Giddy up. Um, well, I don't read. I, I pretty much, I usually filter. Because here's the thing. I usually, one of the things I usually filter out of my searches um, on AO3 is ABO. But I actually, for some reason, when I started reading the Hannibal fandom, I didn't think there would be any ABO in Hannibal. I don't know why I thought that, but that was my thought. There's not going to be any ABO in Hannibal. Or not much. But anyway. Will digresses. But Will digresses. And there it was. And the summary sounded so interesting. I was like, I want. I gotta read that. I want to click on this so bad, but I shouldn't because it's ABO. Um, so we read it together and supported each other through the. And I, I, we both supposed to be sleeping. And I was laughing my ass off. It was very funny. But we'll digress. That poor pillow. Will never be the same. That poor pillow. Um, the second, the, my favorite line though was "sex chicken with a serial killer." That I think <laughs> <laughs> Will was playing "sex chicken with a serial killer" was my favorite line. I think. One of my favorite lines in a Hannibal fic is when Will meets Hannibal and he goes to his cousin Morticia's house and um, he tells her, I've met someone. And she says, really? And he says, he's the Chesapeake Ripper. And she says, oh, darling, what a great match. <laughs> what a great find. She's so excited. What a great find. <laughs> you better snatch him up before somebody else does. <laughs> he's out in the cemetery digging up a engagement ring. It's so fun. The Adam family so is fun. perfect humor for kind of a cracky crossover with Hannibal. Um, so procedurals, procedural. When you're when you're procedural, you're bored with your procedural. Which honestly, I think it's pretty easy to get bored in the canon of procedurals because it's procedure, right? And it's like the, there's not a whole lot of um, overarching plot. Usually, yeah. Most of the time. I mean, I remember... And they're usually resolved in a couple of episodes. I think... I could be wrong about who said this, but I think it was George Eads when he was leaving CSI, and they were asking him why he was leaving. And uh, it could have been somebody else, but I think it was him. It might have been Gary Dordan. Um, and, I mean, you, you think about it, you're like, why would someone voluntarily leave a show where they're making a lot of money, they've got steady work, doing a job that's really hard to break into that a lot of people want to do? Why would they voluntarily drop something like that? And he was like, after all these years, there's just only so many ways I can pick up a fiber. <laughs> you know, there's only so many ways I can look interested at the piece of evidence we found. There's only so many ways. And it was like, it, it, they get, they, it, for him, it got really boring just doing that procedure over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, week after week after week, year after year after year. I mean, you can imagine somebody like, I mean, um, NCIS is on its 18th year right now. And Sean Murray has been in 17 of those years. Um, you know, I don't think Mark Harmon, he's never done much of the procedure stuff, but Sean Murray does all that procedure stuff. I mean, how much evidence has he bagged and tagged in 17 years? <laughs> So if the if the actors can get bored with it, certainly I can imagine the procedure itself can get very boring. So what do you do when you're bored with your procedural, whether it's crime or legal? And sometimes the issue with writing in a procedural is maybe not even boredom, but just that you don't feel like you have the acumen to write. Like writing in a medical procedural could be really intimidating. 
Um, if it were me, I would skip the job and work on the personal. Right. That's what I would do too. Um, is focus on the character development, the character plot, and kind of gloss over their time at work. Um, whatever the procedure is, because it, it can't be, I'm not going to be well equipped to write a legal procedural or a rescue procedural or crime, you know, probably crime drama more than some of the others, because it's honestly, when it comes to research, it's actually easier to research the crime drama stuff than almost any of the others. It is weirdly hard to get information yeah. about some things. <laughs> but honestly, sometimes it's really relieving that some things are difficult to get a hold of. It's like, yeah, that probably shouldn't be on the internet. I'm, I'm glad I didn't find it. Yeah. Right. So that's mm -hmm. when you can take your characters to a, if you're bored, if you're bored or you just don't feel like you have the acumen, you can skip their setting. So let's say you want to write, um, so you, let's say you like writing Tony. I'll go with my unicorn. Let's say you're writing Tony, um, but you want to get him together with a hot doctor, and you don't. But you don't want to write a medical procedural. So you you focus more on um, the outside of the. You move Tony to um, L.A. and you get him together with Will Campbell. Um, for those of you who don't know who Will Campbell is from Code Black, he's played by the same actor who played uh, who I have cast as Ethan. <laughs> Yay! So it's Boris Kajo. So here's Dr. Will Campbell, who's the head of surgery. Um, Not mad oh, at it. But I, if I don't want to write the medical side of it, I could just write the meeting outside of the hospital and the getting together, the romance side of it. I don't have to write the procedure part. And if I don't want to write NCIS, I'm just Tony's in LA. He is kind of a dick at the beginning, but he, you know, he gets better. Actually, a lot of people get better. They're, they get they get over it. He definitely gets over it by the end. But knowing what we know about Tony, Tony kind of likes men who are kind of a dick. Yeah, he's not going to have... Or any, even a lot of a bastard. He's not going <laughs> to have any problem with, with Will's arrogance. Will is, Will is a er really arrogant asshole. So, um, But he does get better. He softens up and he um, gets better as the show goes on. He, he actually, I thought, had one of the better character arcs in the is the show over it is it's just it's 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 ridiculous it's probably the best medical procedural they've ever put on the air and it they canceled it after thinks oh that sucks it was really good it was really they kind of they had my favorite character actually was ethan and they kind of like like the last two episodes his plot line just came out of weird out of nowhere it was like what the fuck and then i think they didn't expect to get canceled and so they wrapped it up kind of abruptly and it was just so weird and out there it's like um it, did this belong on this show does rob Lowe just like doing these weird things sometimes i don't understand it um i think the answer to that question is yes yes it was just this really weird weird but this show's been off the air for a while but so what, what it was was that He's a military surgeon who periodically rotates back to the States to the army periodically sends a surgeon, a military surgeon back to the States to this County hospital in LA. And there actually is the TV show is based on a documentary about the County hospital in LA. And they base the TV show on that documentary. So anyway, and it's about that um, 
you know, your average code black is when they have a, um, they've exceeded their resources and they cannot do anymore. And they talk about the number of times that uh, your average hospital goes into code black every year. It's some, some number under 10, your average hospital in a year. And this county hospital in LA is in code black al almost every night. And so they did a documentary about this, the busiest um, hospital in the United States. So five nights a week. I wonder how many have gone code black in the last year and a half. Probably a lot. Probably a lot. Um, so anyway, so in the second season, they bring this army surgeon in to teach the doctors at this hospital um, the techniques the army has learned in combat, combat techniques and stuff. And, and that was played by Rob Lowe. And he wound up being my favorite character. My f the, he replaced the character who was my favorite character up to that point. Um, and then at the end of the third season, like all of a sudden, inexplicably, he starts hallucinating his dead brother. I, seriously, inexplicably. He just has this complete meltdown where he's seeing his dead brother and he winds up arrested. And, and then all of the blue, it's just over. They let him go. He goes back to the hospital and goes back to work and starts trying to save people. And it's just like, I'm confused. I'm really confused. It was, it was just, it was just such a bizarre thing. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was, it was just, I thought it was just an exceptional show. Um, if you like medical procedurals, Code Black was top draw. Um, I haven't actually watched a medical procedure since I watched a little bit of ER when I was younger and I got, I don't know. I just, they're not really my jam. Although I, I did watch that one with, um, uh, Alex O'Loughlin when he was a transplant doctor. What was it called? I forget three rivers. Yeah. Vicage. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed that. Um, code black is a lot more. Jesse was the bomb. Jesse is, Jesse is, uh, Jesse was their head nurse on the in the ER. Code Black is a lot more um, fast paced than most most medical procedurals. A lot more focused on the medicine side of it. Actually, there's a doctor YouTube has a YouTube channel and he ranked the accuracy of the medical procedurals. And Code Black was right at the top of them. He says it was like somebody decided to do a show about emergency medicine and threw some actors at it. Sometimes a little bit too gory if you actually if you have if you have an issue with blood do yeah. not watch mm, if you have an issue with not. blood do not watch i mean the blood is really intense they i mean there's like there's like episodes where they literally it's like bleeding out all over people's shoes Gross. like they don't ah, have they don't get that a pass <laughs> when they give when they have somebody come in with traumatic blood loss they do not hesitate they go all in on what that's like yeah literally pouring blood on the floor so if you have issues with blood this is not the rescue this is not the medical procedural for you it's, it's really really graphic on the blood side um and really graphic sometimes on the surgical procedure side of it like um i have a weak stomach so i'm gonna pass on that yeah they did a thoracotomy on somebody in one episode i i i had a really strong visceral reaction on that because i've had that procedure done i was unconscious fortunately but i was just like oh i didn't need to see that <laughs> i didn't need to know how that happened i was now like oh yes that's oh no put that man's chest back together so we were, well, as we were, we were, um, we were quiet for so long and now we're just like chatty, chatty, chatty. We're just migrating. We migrated from the gaming channel to the podcast channel. Shit happened. Yeah. So, um, but you don't have to focus because writing that kind of thing, if you don't know a lot about medicine or any of you, maybe you're not interested in writing about medicine, but you can write a character from a, a medical procedural getting together with somebody from a crime drama. That there's no problem there. 
you don't have to focus on the medicine side of it. Um, you don't have to focus on anybody's job. You could have the whole story taking place outside of their respective workplaces. It could all take place in meetings and bars or restaurants or whatever. And bedrooms. The occasional bedroom is good. Yeah, bedrooms are good. I mean, you know, break it up a little bit. Kitchen counter. Shower. Especially if you're writing something soulmate-ish. Um, like if you're going to do soulmate challenge. Um, and you don't want to dwell on the canon aspects. You just want to focus on the relationship aspect. You don't have to write the procedure part of these things. Um you don't have to get all up in a Harry Potter world building to write a Harry Potter soulmate story either. It doesn't have to be complicated. I mean, I enjoy complicated, but it doesn't have to be complicated. We know you do. Well, I'll get bored otherwise. I know. Also, sometimes if it's not complicated, you're not going to make your word count. It's like, okay, I've got right? 5K. I've got 5K in that idea. It's like, um, we're, well, they meet, they fuck, and then what? I think I'm done. I, I think I need a new idea. If I don't, if I don't have some plot, I gotta have some plot. Otherwise, they're just gonna meet and fuck. That's well, why there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not that's not fifty k. No, it's not or thirty k in the soulmate challenge because that's one of the reasons why that ten k was so good for ten to twenty five k or ten to thirty k or however I think it was ten to twenty five when we were doing little black dress boot camp was because ten to fifteen k was about what you need for somebody to meet. Oh, you're my guide. Oh, you're my sentinel. Let's hug it out. Let's bond. Let's let our Did spirit you just animals. Say hug it out. <laughs> there are young people here. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm protecting your delicate sensibilities, Margaret. I don't think Margaret has any delicate sensibilities. I think the Air Force took um, took care of that for her. That's probably true. But it could be hugging it out. You could write. A, but anyway, that 10K is about what you need to. 10 to 15K for that basic premise of meet, meet, work out a few kinks, <laughs> as it were, <laughs> and, and bond and story over. Um, beyond that, you're going to have to start having Margaret some complications. Freak. Yeah, you're going to start having. But also, have have also, Bri, um, we were talking about you because you are younger than her, just so you don't get confused. <laughs> It doesn't matter if it's by days. You are still the new baby. Semantics are everything. <laughs> but um, I don't know. When I get bored, I have to like really dig deep because otherwise I, do, I end up doing something crazy. So I have to like really explore the ripples. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that can be kind of frustrating because it's like your ripple will take you somewhere you don't want to go. And then what do you do with it? Then, you, then it ends up in your fuck it file and you're screwed. My fuck it file. The what the fuck was I thinking file. Yeah, pretty much. Doesn't everybody have one of those? Magic dick won't solve all. Sometimes when you write yourself into a corner, just inserting a magic dick is just going to make your story into infinite crap. <laughs> I can't believe you just said inserting a magic dick. Was <laughs> and then I added it will make your story into an infinite crack. <laughs> So, <laughs> oh, there's something wrong with you. I know. <sighs> it's probably boredom. Boredom really <laughs> is the root of all evil. So when she gets out in her yard and actually starts building a trebuchet, uh, we'll be in trouble. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
But, you know, when you say, oh, fuck it, this is when you're going to have, I don't know, Tony riding off with his seal in the sunset off on the Seahawk, on a unicorn, or off the Seahawk, um, you know, that's when you start hand waving away, don't ask, don't tell. You're like, yeah, fuck it. Um, <laughs> you're jumping the shark. I only have one story with a shark and nobody jumped it. <coughs> My drink is empty. I'm sad. Mine's empty too. It's terrible over here. Um, well, if I get a trebuchet. I would actually like one I could put in my backyard and put some real use to. Just one I could stick on my desk wouldn't be all that useful, honestly. You need one that you can, you know, launch little messages over to your voodoo neighbors when they're right. Turmeric milk. No, I'm gonna give that a pass. But also. I don't think it would do Tony much good to meet a merman while he was on the Seahawk. Because how would he get down there to talk to him? Those ships are kind of tall. That's a, big. Long, that's a long drop. Unless somebody pushes him overboard. I mean, he uh, wouldn't even see the merman. So here we, here we, no, here we got a crime, right? There's a merman. So Tony's investigating a crime and somebody doesn't want to get caught. And they push Tony off the fantail and Tony's rescued by a merman. Really a hot merman. Who's also a Navy SEAL. Yeah, but why yeah. would he be? How do you meet a? How do you meet a merman while you're in port? You're on dry land at that point. Well, he can meet Steve McGarrett anywhere, and if Steve McGarrett's the merman, just saying, I would like to throw a flaming ball at somebody. I, you know, if if you if you're gonna have a trebuchet, trebuchet, tri ever how you fucking say it, trebuchet. But I don't really care how you say it. You can say it however you want. You can say the flaming okay. ball. You can say the flaming ball thrower. <laughs> Maybe flaming, I will. Put my flaming ball thrower in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, it'd be kind of hard to meet a merman on one of those, you know. But oh no, Mary Jane, what have you done? Mary Jane's been at the Mary Jane again. I hear these seas have amazing creatures, part fish, part beautiful woman. Oh my God, I see one. Hi, Prince Eric. Let me see that dick. <laughs> oh my god. Reverse mermaid. Nightmare fuel. Well, um... Wow. I can't... Wait, is, Ellie, were you really signing up to write merman Steve and Tony thing? Because I, I await your contribution to the mothership. <laughs> <laughs> Ellie agrees to weird things sometimes. You won't remember, but we will remember and we will remind you. Won't we? You know, that's a movie that actually gave me nightmares. Mothman. The Motherfish. No. Y'all. Girl, you need to you're gonna be in the corner. I'm oh, sorry, we're not putting anybody in the corner because it's a tourist attraction. It is a tourist attraction. Although Motherfish is awful. <laughs> Um, okay, so we've got board with, we've talked a little bit about board with procedurals. The other thing you can do with your board with your procedural, if you don't want to like just take the procedure out and just write some contemporary romance or something, is those are characters that are, you basically put them in a fusion. I, we've talked about Fate Protects Fools, Small Children, and Ships Named Valor quite a few times is a great example of a fusion. Every character resonates as that character, but it is Star Trek all the way. Um, and it is banging. That's by Sunrider. Uh, it's NCIS meets Star Trek. And it's awesome. 
honestly, what some of the it's, it's a master class in keeping the characters in to feeling like that they are those characters, but also believably in another world. Um, you could do something like that. You could have a gate team if you like really like your NCIS characters, or you like NCIS LA or NCIS um, uh, New Orleans. You could write a gate team um, on Atlantis or in at Stargate that is comprised of those characters, and it's a fusion Mag Mag Seven gate team. Um, you don't shake loose the shackles of canon. You could rule sixty three to change things up. What else? We talked a little I bit about rule sixty three. Fascinating. But I only find it fascinating if you're not if if you're writing it to explore it rather than writing it to avoid writing a gay pairing. Because if you're just writing it to avoid writing a gay pairing, I don't have time for you. Yeah. Um, there's and there are some characters I'm interested in reading or even maybe writing Rule sixty three and other characters I just have a hard limit. Like I read them the first time and I go, I'll always nope. try. It. I'll try it once and I'll read them. Read them first time, Rule sixty three, and I go, no. Doesn't work for me. So, like, I could read female styles. I could read female McKay, obviously. I could read female Bilbo. I could not read female Harry. I couldn't do it. Yeah, I had a hard limit around I female Harry. I can't get there. I couldn't get there. Um, I can't get there with female Bilbo so far. I've tried, but so far, no. Um, I honestly didn't even know there was a female Gibbs. I don't think I would even open that, honestly. And it's not because I think people shouldn't explore um, whatever they want to explore, but some things just don't resonate for me at all. Nope. I'm not um, sure I could read a female Derek because the implications of what would happen. No. I, no. I, mm -mm. Yeah. It's bad enough in canon. So, I mean, that, but as a writer, that can be a way for you to just switch up the dynamic and try it out. But some things for me don't work. Um, like in my head, I go, do I, I, I'm not interested in trying to change the, um, to write rule 63 for some characters. Some characters, yes, I could maybe do it. Other characters, I just know in my head, I'm not interested in, in changing because I like them exactly the way they are. And I would not just change their gender and then write them exactly the way they are. That's, that's not me, doing that's anything. Just, that's disingenuous. So if I like them exactly the way they are, and for me, that's Bilbo. That's one of the reasons why I don't read or write Rule 63 Bilbo is because he's he's practically perfect in every way as far as I'm concerned. So he would have necessity to me be different if if he was born female. So um, I can't get there. I could probably write a female Tony Stark. Mm, Tony Stark's one of my limits. I can't get there. I mean, I'm thinking about it. Maybe. I don't know. I, I would have to try. And I don't want to, I, I wouldn't want to plot a whole big thing and then, and then fall flat on it. I yeah, one of the reasons why I went with a female Bilbo is because the, the, the Hobbit's sausage fest. And it was just like, come on now. But I would, but it would I, be really interesting to see a female Thorin actually. I would do female Thorin. I, I could do female Thorin, but I would not do female, female Bilbo. And that's, that's just, that's my issue with the character. I wouldn't have a problem changing. Bilbo. I, I, I can't do it Bilbo. So. Um, and it does take a lot of, like, like Dark says, it takes a lot of careful plotting and planning ahead with how you're going to, what the implications are of the changes and, and, you know, some people, and the problem is people, some people don't take that into consideration. It's just the same exact story, same exact character, but with, it is, you know. and those people are just writing that to avoid writing a gay pairing. Let's be honest. If you're not going to do the work to actually write a rule 63, you're only making one of the characters female. So you don't have to write gay sex. 
These are the same people who would be like, oh, you know, Jim and Blair would be such a good pairing if Blair was a girl. Well, so there's, just, there's really two reasons why, there's two main reasons why people write Rule 63. One is homophobia. And the right. other is, um, which is why they change male characters to be female. Um, and the other reason is because there's just a dearth of female characters in mainstream media. So while there are, is some changing um, female characters to be male, it's, it's atypical because there's not a lack of male characters. So in a way, it's not that you can't do it. You should be able to do whatever you want to do. And some people will actually switch up the gender of every character and then explore that which that is really hard to keep up with for yeah me. i mean like um the tv show hannibal they changed up quite a few gender of quite a few characters um mm -hmm. they changed up alana uh they changed up freddy freddy um there's somebody else i'm blanking on it now but anyway um the point is that um it's usually, usually the, the usual, one of the most common reasons why people do this for, for benign reasons, in my opinion, because I don't find homophobia to be benign, is because that there is um, um, a lack of female characters that are represented well, um, or the female characters are very flat and underdeveloped, like Elizabeth Weir, like, um, honestly, even like, um, even like, uh, even when you get an, a character that's ostensibly a main character like Black Widow, she's kind of flat and underdeveloped compared to her male counterpart. So, so that's why you see less of the reverse. That's why you know there's a lot more um, changing Bilbo or Thorin to be female rather than changing Galadriel to be male. Because I would say that Hermione is one of my hard limits. I would not change her gender because it's so rare that we get a female character who's smart and helpful and that you can make strong, even if she didn't end up strong in canon because she ended up married to a piece of shit. Um, I'm not bitter. I am so fucking bitter. I'm a big giant pile of bitter salt. Um, <laughs> but so we don't, cause she's the only real fe main female character in Harry Potter. Really like main, there are a lot of tertiary characters, but she's the only main female one. This could be my OTP start talking, you know? But I mean, again, you don't have a lot of female characters, so it becomes a little bit of a blow to people when you change the gender of the female character to be male, and then you've got an all-male cast. Right. So, But if you should do what you want to do. But somebody said something mentioned about male male Kate with female Tony would be interesting, but I don't think a male Kate, if you look at the ripples, a male Kate would never have made it on the show. Because Kate lost her job with the Secret Service, or had was going to have to leave, she she resigned because she got in trouble for banging the president's football carrier. Male Kate wouldn't have been banging the president's football carrier. Well, why not? I mean, it's possible you could go there, but that's a whole different set of ripples because then you've got a completely different Kate. You don't have the puritanical values. You don't have. Um, um, but also, Gibbs wouldn't have rescued a male Kate because he only right. rescued women. Right, Gibbs would not have rescued a male Kate from the consequences of Kate's, uh, you know, uh, Carl. Gibbs would not have recommend, you know, rescued Carl from the consequences of Carl's actions, and getting that poor Marine who was the football carrier fired from under the Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So, I, male Kate, I don't think would have made it on the job, at least not in that way. So you have the the ripples to me look like Kate never makes it on the team, if you have if you do a Rule sixty three for Kate. 
And it's because and it's because Kate's a- access to the team, Kate being added to the team, was through a very narrow set of circumstances where Gibbs likes to rescue women, and Kate had sexual impropriety with um, the football carrier. So it's a it's a it's a ripple that is a little bit for me a little bit hard to get around. Maybe that's just me being too rigid about canon. That Kate, if you change up Kate's gender. Um, just Kate. I still. Would, you could put her on the team in a different way. You could put him on the team in a different way. The thing is, here's the thing. Once you have the Kate, Kate got because he got a different name, right? So let's say the name Carl. Okay. Carl comes on the team in a completely different way. The only way now that you know that this is the, the rule 63 Kate Todd is because you tell them. Circumstances are different. Um name is different. It is I mean, let's, does it let's doesn't start at all? To- let's make the case be Gibbs and male Kate coming out to deal with the dead body on the president's plane. And the female secret service agent is Tony Dinozo. <laughs> I'm not saying that she gets fired for banging the football carrier. She doesn't have to, but maybe Gibbs is still trying to rescue her. She doesn't actually need to be rescued, but she wouldn't mind the job change. No, but my point is the no is not the banging the football carrier. The no oh. is you've now taken Tony, who I consider his her her his or her greatest strength to be investigative mind, and she's doing secret service. She'd grow up differently. She wouldn't would, be the same character. But yeah, but I still don't see that trajectory leading to secret service. I just I don't see female Tony. I see female Tony maybe being CIA or NSA or being in, in even in over an MI5, but secret service. I just, I can't get there to me that those ripples just that to me starts where it starts to feel super contrived. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that I think a female Tony would grow up drastically different than a male Tony. I agree. And I don't think she would have been a cop for six years and met Gibbs in the same way. Which is why the one time I wrote um, female Tony, she was working for MI. She was working for Interpol because she grew up in the UK. I mean, you know, you can do anything you want, really. But one thing I don't like to see with the Rule sixty three is them the author giving the female version the same exact experiences and backstory because it doesn't make sense. There are certain experiences that female characters would have that a male character would not, and vice versa. Because, as unfortunately, as much, as much as we would prefer that it's different, gender definitely matters in society, and men and women are treated differently. They're treated differently in education environments. They're treated differently in training environments. They are treated differently um, by their parents. Uh, they're treated differently about how they're educated, when they're educated, what fields they're encouraged to go into. Yeah, I you agree. could, I mean, in theory, have a female Tony um, Dinozo who never went into any kind of law enforcement, um, and, is a, and is a concert pianist. Right, I agree, and that's why. But I just don't see the way I perceive Tony, female or male, ever being in a trajectory that leads to protection detail. It's not that I have a problem with Secret Service. I actually think it's a noble protect, but I just don't see with with. The way I perceive Tony's mind, my head can about Tony's brain. So to me, to plug Tony into Secret Service feels like I'm trying to do something very contrived and to make a plot work. And I just start hitting hard stops. This is my process. I hit hard stops in my own mind to just 
go, okay, well, I'm gonna put Tony on the plane. Tony's gonna be in Kate's role and Kate's gonna be in Tony's role just so I can flip the genders and they're gonna have each other's backgrounds. And I just, I, my brain just Well, I would not I go, no. Tony Kate's background. Um, and honestly, if I was going to write it, he, he probably, she probably would not be Secret Service. But I'm just saying that that's a thing that you could do. You could do it. I, you, it's, you could, I just find it, this is, this is for me, intolerably contrived is what my issue with it is. And I just go, it feels nothing about it, it feels natural. Um, and that's one of the problems with, for me, with Rule 63 Fix, a lot of times they do feel contrived. It's like, really? But, I mean, people's tolerances there are different you, as readers and as writers. You, you will, your, your, your tolerances may vary. You may be okay with something that I find to be really contrived and that I can't get past, you know, two paragraphs on. I wouldn't mind seeing a female Tony um, in the CIA, maybe working for Elizabeth McCord. Yeah. It'd be interesting. Um, but at the end of the day, you can do whatever you want. People do. Oh, see, I didn't, I didn't give dark a bunny. But the thing is, is, if you write, if you do write Tony still being at NCIS and working for Gibbs, you're going to have to come up with how that worked. If she is working for Gibbs and how that came about. Um, but for me, like I said, when you start flipping genders on multiple characters, you have added your level of complexity tremendously. Tremendously. The other side of it is, is I really don't see a female Tony working for Tony, um, for Gibbs for more than a hot minute. Not for very long. I agree. And unless she likes being mistreated at work. Although Gibbs is nicer to women than he True. is. True. He probably so. would not, you know, smack her in the back of the head. But no. he probably would try to fuck her. So, you know, we kind of, that's kind of a whole tangent about Rule 63, but Rule 63 is one way you could kind of try to break up your boredom. Because sometimes, you know, you just go, okay, I'm so bored. Um, what can I do different? And um, one of the things you could try different is uh, when we do our, is Rule 63. That could be one of the things. Um, when we do our bingo this year, I believe it's going to be AU bingo. Um, that's going to be. That should so be you fun. Could, I haven't so, even thought about bingo from last year yet. You just kind of, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm behind <laughs> on my bingo from last. But you know, <laughs> when I sit down to work on a prompt, I look at my bingo cards and I go, "Do I want to?" Because the thing is, you can you can work on it forever if you want. I just don't give out cards anymore past the end of the period because you know I don't want I don't want you know me and the other mods to be on the hook for giving out bingo cards for all eternity ever. But yeah, I haven't finished my fluff bingo either. But it's my card until I finish it. That's right. I want to do a prompt for, um, you know, you know what we should do this weekend. We what? should do a write in uh, and everybody pick a, um, a, uh, actually we should end the podcast before I talk about this because somebody will be listening to this six months from now and I finally post it. They'll be like, when's this write in happening? You're like, um, mm, it happened six months ago. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, um, we'll talk about, we'll talk about that after the podcast. Um, but yeah, I the only limits that you have in fandom are the limits you put on yourself. I am only limited by my own, well, my morals <laughs> and my ethics and my imagination. Because there are some things I would not write, right? And and there are other things that I would not write because of craft issues or character issues because these are things that would really bother me but it's, those are it that, that's it you are only limited 
in the ways that you yeah. limit yourself. And some things you're limited by, maybe there's, um, you're limited because you're like, well, I, I, that would be interesting, but it'd be too much work. And that's, that's legitimate. Like I want to, I want to bang out something I can write in 10 K that's going to take me, you know, 10 hours, not something that's going to take 10 K. It's going to take me a hundred hours because of the amount of research. And that's a legitimate choice because let me tell you, sometimes you don't want to get into a hundred hour research spiral to write 10 K and you can. Yeah. Been there. I've done that. But also you might have listened to the podcast and heard one of us say, Oh no, I would never do that. Or don't do that. That's terrible. But if you want to do it, do it. And just because I would never do it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. Like I said, there's, there's an audience for just about anything. And uh, there's a writer for just about anything. And I have, I, sometimes I have some weird hard limits in my own head. And sometimes I know some of my hard limits are weird. It's like, I don't know why that's a hard limit. I just know that it is. But also you need to respect your own hard limits. Because I learned that the hard way. I tried to do something with a thing. And it was dumb and I should have put some more thought into it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, because we've all done there. We've all been there. We've all done that. So, you know, I guess don't be afraid of it and don't let boredom stand in your way. I There was one night, um, this was a few months ago. People were just being really gushy about this one story in a fandom that I like. And I click on the link and I think, I haven't read this and I'm surely I'm going to. I, everybody's just so impressed with the story. I'm going to go read it. I got like two sentences in and I noped out. I stumbled across Oop. one of my hard limits super fast. I mean, it was like, boom, there it is. And it slapped me right in the face. And I was like, oh no, no. <laughs> and it wasn't that anybody else was wrong for liking that. It's just, it's just, it was a style issue that I can't get past. I can't read. It drives me crazy. Um, there is also this is a different story. Was it parentheses? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't like just a little asides and parentheses. I feel like either the author or the character is talking to me, and like, <laughs> stop. Um, it drives me bonkers. And so I hit that. If I hit that in the first paragraph, I'm done. I'm done. But there was one. Um, there's also a story in a fandom that uh, it it's like it's like if you ask anybody in that fandom. Tell me the stories, top five stories you'd recommend. Like almost all of them are going to list this story in their top five. I have never been able to read it because it's it's not just nonlinear storytelling. It's epically nonlinear. Oh. Like when I realized that the nonlinear, like the stuff that's taking place in the past isn't even in the same time stream, I had to put it down. Because if, if the past if the past and the present are converging in a linear fashion, I can sometimes get through nonlinear storytelling. But when the stuff being told in the past is jumping around, it's not being told in a linear progression. I can't. I can't. It just it hurts my feelings. So it's so bad. So I was like, I can't. I got can't do it. And I and so I feel like I'm missing out because everybody talks about how wonderful the story is, but I can't. I never gotten past the first like two chapters because, and I've I really have tried because this bouncing around the timeline it drives me so crazy and it's so distracting to me that i can't read it one of my first one of my worst theatrical experiences is pulp fiction i can't handle it i mean there's lots of there's lots of things that are traumatic in pulp fiction honestly um it's not for the sensitive uh but it's not told in a linear fashion and having a movie jump around like that was jarring and uncomfortable 
Yeah. And honestly, a movie, I can handle it better than I can handle stories because usually there's, there's things in movies that help cue you and stories. Sometimes they aren't really great with the cues about timeline changes and especially the past timeline. It was all over the place. It wasn't real great about, which is fine. I mean, the author had a particular style. People love this story, but obviously I, I will tell you everybody who recommends this story does not mind a nonlinear narrative. I cannot imagine anyone who struggles with a nonlinear storytelling um, ever recommending that story because they would just, I don't, I can't even figure out how they got, would get through it. But that does speak to other ways that you could alleviate your boredom um, is to try different writing techniques. Yeah. You could do um, like, there's different kinds of just complete style things. You could do like an apostolary thing. I've been actually pondering doing something apostolary. Um, could be fun. You, you could do like a chat story. I actually, sometimes chat stories for me can be very boring, but I read one recently that was really entertaining. Um, where the almost the entire story was told in, in chat form. So it was cute. Uh, you have to have a really good handle on your formatting so that you don't wind up being confusing. Um, and then um, let's see what else could you do? That's a different style. Putting doing no. I don't consider about this is just I'm I'm gonna be hard judgy on this. Okay, I don't consider all lowercase for your entire novel to be a style choice. Grow up. You are not E. E. Cummings. It's one thing to put your summary or your title in all lowercase, whatever. I think it's kind of like a goofy trend. But if you want to be on trend with putting all of your title in all lowercase, you do you, boo. But to just say, oh, it's my style to not use any capital letters. <laughs> I'm like, it's my style not to read your shit. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Don't expect me to read your shit. I'm like, you're going to regret. If like five or ten years, you're going to look back on this and you're going to regret your need to be such a special snowflake. You're going to be embarrassed because you're going to have to admit in some writing group someday that you put stuff up for people to read claiming about how this was your style and you had to be true to your vision to post 50,000 words with no capital letters. Um, Word won't even let you do that by accident. <laughs> you have to turn off all the autocorrect. Um, so let's see. There's, my... there's first person. There's... Um... Uh, I hate to say this because I'm hurting my feelings by saying it. There's present tense. Um, yeah. Present tense is very different writing thing. It's a very different headspace. It will feel very immediate when you're writing in present tense, which is often why when I'm writing action scenes, I slip into present tense. Oh, um, I, have to pa I have to mute myself. I'll be right back. Okay. Sorry. My dog decided to have a tussle. <sighs> Did Jillian take a break? Yeah, I took a break so you'd have a nice big long section to just edit out. <laughs> so we were talking when you left about writing in present tense um, as to try as as a means of changing things up. Um, I think like there's a, a story in um, Ties at Bond called uh, Time After Time where I told my story in, in increments of an hour across a, a, a period of time i did that as an experiment because i just just to do it you know so a lot of times i'll take concepts like that and play with them in fan fiction in, in a way that i could not do it in original works and so fan fiction is a good place to try out things that you might not try out otherwise like present tense or first person or god help us all second person <sighs> If you want to try second, my boobs are uncomfortable right now. <laughs> if you want to do um, second person, um, 
try apostolary, try chatfic, try, I don't know. Um, I mean, basically, chatfic is a version of apostolary. So do something, mm -hmm. you could try something like that. Uh, but different POV, different tense. I mean, we all react kind of, most people that I know react pretty negatively to it. But um, just try something different if you're bored. Try something short if you're bored. Embarking on another... Um, if you're a novel length writer and you tend to get big ideas, maybe embarking on another big idea maybe isn't going to help you bust through your boredom. Maybe you need to just bang out something short and fun. Maybe you need to write something cracky with Deadpool. And fingers. And fingers. Or you dip your, your toes into a different fandom. Or you put a character in your story um, that's unusual. Or you make your first original character. See how it goes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you won't know, do you try? There are ways to bust up the monotony of, of whatever canon rut you feel like you're in. Um, you could send your character on vacation. You could go and get a trope list, and um, you could try putting your characters in a Canadian shack. You could try, you know, you could try writing curtain fic. You could literally make your characters go shop for curtains and see what you could do with that. Uh, because I bet you could make that funny as fuck. It doesn't have to be as boring as it sounds. Because it is pretty boring. Conceptually, I think it is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I... Ten reasons Tony Dinozo needs blackout curtains, and the one reason he doesn't have them. <laughs> Randolph Rampart's his neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> you could start a new series, Tony Dinozo's New Neighbor, just write different versions of Tony Dinozo moving somewhere where he's living across from somebody interesting. Hmm. One of one of my favorite OCs, actually, um, outside of Armand Deering, who's you know, I have the biggest crush on Armand. My absolute favorite. I don't want Patrice to kill me, but <laughs> I want him for my very own. <clears throat> but uh, <laughs> that's very greedy. <laughs> I bet you he wants Zale too. Yeah. Who wouldn't? Zale brings all the boys to the yard. <laughs> One of my biggest disappointments, actually, when I was plotting um, uh, my stories for this year, is that in 1975, Thaddeus, Zale, Quentin, they'll all be kids. Yeah. And so I can't use any of them. At, you know, so it's really upsetting. Here, Ito won't be, though, and Armand right. will be. And, and, and they're um, both in it. They're both in it, so... Um, I am sad about the Dead Marshes, though. Well, the Dead Marshes are actually um, Armand's nephews, and so they they will be... I mean, the, he he's raising them, so they're there, but they're not... They're not adults. Being badasses, right. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what a little necromancer is like, I have to admit. <laughs> what, is, what, is that what does that look like when it's small and it's at home? <laughs> Broody, because they're teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> Just like any other teenager you might come across, actually. <laughs> I'm pretty sure most teenagers are necromancers. <laughs> but Quentin and Walker are, um, will be, they're, okay, they're three years younger than James. Three and two. And three and two. So Walker, if James is in his fifth year, Walker's a second year and Quentin is a third year. 
That's Pitlocky. <laughs> Which also puts Zale um, in fourth or fifth year, depending on um, his birthday. And Thaddeus would be a third year as well. Well, he's not my character, so I don't know. I don't know where he would be. Um, I have to check when Zade is pretty close in age to Sirius. He's slightly older. I need to check what year he was born. But look at Ellie's dirty mind, having Rampart volunteering to give Tony a Silkwood shower. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I stopped using OneNote is because OneNote takes so long to load. But that is where my character profiles are for for Slytherin Black. Uh, main character. Zade was born. In 1950. So in 1975. He'd be 25. So. Hmm. <laughs> um, Brian, have you read Slytherin Black? I think you need to if you haven't. So. And it's on EAD for those of you who are wondering. Um, but. And that is also one of the ways that you can approach a fandom like Harry Potter. When I wrote The Absence of War, I wrote it from the character. I, I wrote it basically from a POV of an outside character. Um, and it doesn't have to be an OC. I think that one of the most underexplored points of view in Harry Potter is probably Minerva. There's there's not a lot out there. And I, th and I, and I think there should be more. Mm, I love Patrice. I loved researching food for Patrice to make in <laughs> The Absence of War. I had no idea, because I've never had it, that escargot is normally served on a bed of salt. I had no idea. Now I know. Some things I don't need to know. I feel okay with that, that knowledge. <laughs> There's just some things I'm not prepared to eat. Ever. I'm not sure I would eat escargot either, but um, I wanted to give... I, I was thinking about Vila and what might be a staple food for them, and I thought that would be really interesting for her to have as a staple food. Because they're birds. Oh, it just It, it just appealed to me. Someone wrote me and said that their biggest disappointment was that Patrice never went full um, Vila on anybody. <laughs> well, she didn't have to, but that's why she's got Armand. <laughs> I would imagine that Escargot is probably very neutral. That makes sense. So yeah. you can do, you can write a Royal Harry AU. You could have, you could do something darkly loyalish where they yeet everybody into a volcano. Um, <laughs> solve your boredom, you know, write something shorter than you're used to, write something longer, write a different POV, write a different tense. Um, and the other side of it is, is that I think a lot of people don't experiment with things like this, especially if they think they'll fail because they'll assume that that failure wouldn't be publishable. And they're right. You, that isn't something you'd want to post. But not everything you write has to be posted. Believe me, not everything I've written has been posted. And we wouldn't want it. You guys would think very differently no. of me. No, no. i got some shit you guys won't ever want to see. You'd be sitting there drumming your fingers going, Jillian, we need to talk. <laughs> Did you really just spend three hours, um, 3,000 words talking about office furniture? It's only 2,000. <laughs> <laughs> Got defensive quick, Jillian. <laughs> I cut it out. I once went off. I once went off on a tangent about, um, uh, and it was, I was, when I was writing Hold My Coffee, um, about, uh, nuclear power plants. And it, it went on for a page and a half before I realized what I was doing. And I was like, son of a bitch. Cut. <laughs> I might need that delete, later page into a slit. Delete, 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 <laughs> delete, delete. No one needs to know how much time I spent on Wikipedia looking at nuclear power plant statistics. For fuck's sake. When I was writing um, Demons, I had to do some research about um, like nuclear fuel pellets. Uh -huh. And um, and I, um, I don't remember 
something about it. Um, I, I don't even remember how it came up. I mentioned something to my pops, right? Um, and he av advised me. All of a sudden, he, I said I was doing some research about nuclear fuel rods or something like that. And um, all of a sudden, he gets on the phone and he advises me not to ever Google these certain terms because it will get me on, you know, the government's radar. They're going to be paying attention. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the tidbit. I, I think... I, th I think that ship has sailed. I mean, I've, I've I've been a writer for so long. I have looked up things that no nobody really should look up. It's too late. <laughs> well, there's apparently that, and then there's apparently the thing that gets you on the short list. And there's apparently you don't want <laughs> to Google very specific things about nuclear submarines. Uh, it's very specific things. Um, or you will get on their... Uh, get their attention in a way that you probably don't want. Let's just not look up things about nuclear submarines, guys. FYI. Just, just be satisfied. If, if if you get curious about it, just go watch Hunt for Red October and move on. Because I wanted to know how much those little pellets they use, the uranium pellets they use, how much those weigh. Um, yeah. And I told him I was Googling it. And he goes, well, don't Google da 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 I was like, okay. Why? You're going to get the NSA's attention quick. And I was like, like more than I already have it. I've been Googling nuclear <laughs> weapons all afternoon. He says, no, this is a very specific thing. You don't want to Google about nuclear submarines. I was like, okay. Thanks for the heads up, Pops. I appreciate it. I'll just go to the library and look it up in a book. <laughs> You're a trooper. Like we're in the 80s. <laughs> You're a trooper. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't miss... Um, I don't miss our days of card catalogs. Oh, Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was enamored of Encyclopedia Britannica, but I don't miss it. Yeah. Yeah. That That's kind of some of the stuff he was giving me some information about is you got to be careful about what you give, what you give away about nuclear submarines. I was like, okay. Well, if it's already on Google, <laughs> I think that ship has sailed. Apparently the government doesn't think so, even though their ship has literally sailed. Do you want to enable dictation? I don't know what I did to cause that. <laughs> Imagine writing a book and you're in a reader emailing you and say, hey, um, you can't actually put a body in a freezer that size. And you're like, then you're left wondering. Wait, what? <laughs> How do you know? Never mind. I don't want to know. It's a very specific <laughs> piece of knowledge you have. I don't ever want to interact with you on a site that is tracking my IP address. <laughs> but did you know that freezers will also, like at, like at Home Depot and stuff, will list how much of a deer it will take? Like, like you can get a freezer that will have to take a whole deer or one that will take two deer. <laughs> we need a two deer freezer, deer. <laughs> Deers. Deer. I know what you meant, deer. Put deer. No, I was being like, you know, we're going to put deer. But I think if it will fit one deer, it'll fit one person. Well, the thing is, once you say it, but the thing is, what I was thinking is somebody then goes, who is deer this week? <laughs> Murder husband shopping. <laughs> you know he bought those murder onesies by the dozen. <laughs> murder onesies. <laughs> well, there's no need to get dirty. It's very important for, you know, uh, 
countering the forensic measures is you got to marry your murder onesie. I feel like his murder onesies were made to spec too. They certainly seemed like it. <laughs> I mean, they were completely clear plastic, so you could see like his like his window pane plaids and stuff through them. I mean, <laughs> you got the full effect of his creepy ass suits through because he wasn't like he was just covering himself up in like a Tyvek kind of painter's onesie. <laughs> Look, he spent $2,000 on that suit and he wants you to know it. That's right. So, okay. So here we are with Hannibal. Back to Hannibal. Come on, comes back to Hannibal. Um, are you missing something? I don't know. What? What? She came back. I, I think she might have came back in in the middle of the murder. Oh, onesie. onesies. Hannibal wore this. Whenever he would kill somebody, he would wore this. This. It sort of looked like a painter's outfit, except it was clear plastic. You know, they wear that cover coverall thing to cover them from head to toe to keep them from getting any paint on themselves. And it's just kind of colloquially referred to as a murder onesie. In the fandom. In the fandom. I don't think anybody on the show ever called it a murder onesie, but... <laughs> I, I think if anybody did, it will. So... Um, so you can shake up your routine. So I think we 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 still got other things to t talk about. So we'll. Uh, I'm done. Are you done? Okay. Anybody, I'm done. Anything else? Anybody needs any has any question or needs any advice? I definitely feel like his murder onesie was tailored. Uh, yeah. He got that designed for him. That, that is <laughs> it's a, like that's his forensic countermeasure right there, and you got to be sure he sees also, he sees the fine clothing through it. You know. Like later on when he's caught and they're and they're looking at his financial records and it's like, did you guys know that this that that he ordered five hundred murder onesies <laughs> to spec? Why wasn't this something we were looking for? Because we, we didn't know we didn't know we needed murder onesies, did we? We should have. Well, no one thought he had a no one thought he had a bespoke murder onesie. Otherwise, we would have been looking for it. Who does that? <laughs> well, no one thought he had a murder basement either. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you guys have a good night and we shall talk to you later. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone.